What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Drinking with Humans, our new podcast title. This episode, I got to catch up with my buddy Carl Lunchbaugh. You might know him as Crazy1813 if you're in the Discord. Um, we had some good conversation and it was fun to catch up. If you want to follow him, I'll put his links in the description. If you want to join my Discord or follow my socials, I'll have my link in the description as well. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Like that's the one thing that I really, in looking at that, I go, there's a good reason to to have those tutorials for something like that. And you can really see the usage case that way without it being as daunting. So I don't mm-hmm. know. That, that's the thing that's really amazed me with the internet is uh, since I was a kid, just starting to get more familiar with, oh, well, what's this and how's it work? You just look it up online and, oh, well, now I can know anything. And mm-hmm. it's free. <laughs> yeah, I think the trick is like people, you know, people have an idea of what they want to accomplish with like a project or something, especially people who are like creative already. Mm-hmm. They, you know, like for me, like if I'm speaking for myself, like I listen to music very, like I get all the complexities and the structure of music that's just always been something I've done and mm-hmm. do the same thing with like any sort of like design or what's the word I'm thinking of? Like aesthetics mm-hmm. of stuff. I've always been drawn to stuff like that. And like, all I have to see is like one guy mentioned something about lighting in a video. And now I'm like, Oh, I understand lighting. Like, even if I don't understand lighting, I, yeah. I now see how lighting works on everything. Yeah. yeah, that that moment of you you see something you didn't and now you can't unsee it, which is a, yes. an incredible an epiphany of of life in general where you're like where you see something and then you see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And kind of like I, when you I, buy a car and then you see that yeah. same car everywhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. The, the the classic scenario of man, when did everybody get this one? I, I mm-hmm. sure thought that uh, this wasn't going to be that common, but okay, yeah. Right. And, yeah. Or, uh, if you notice like the worst case scenario is if you notice or not if you notice someone's habit, but if someone notices a habit of yours and then you Mm -hmm. become self-aware of that, it is is (laughs) self-destructive. Yeah. I have those habits where I go like, uh, when I talk, I'll be like, uh, this, uh, that, uh, (laughs) person gets in that mental spiral and then sometimes it really runs away with itself. But this helps. Oh yes, and uh, and to this that, helps you but... forget. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's weird that like, so yeah, like I, I, you know, I, I really geek out whenever I'm interested in something. I really like, and it might, it might be a fault. It's not a fault. I don't want to say it's a fault, but like, if you have aspirations of like doing something on your own. Like being successful by building something or making something on your own. I have uh, a fault when it comes to that where I have an idea and I fixate on it and I just like I geek out into like a specific part of it and I try to learn as much as I can. And part of that I think comes from like not having a lot of money. I think that's part of it because I don't. I, I'm looking, especially when it comes to like products that you need, 
I, I fucking researched the fuck out of them. Mm-hmm. And then because I don't want to buy the wrong thing uh, yep, I, I and have wasted that money. You know what and, I mean? And I a hundred percent agree. I, I think that there's definitely personality types and I'm sure that there's some, some key markers a person can see in, in people and how they think through things, but like maybe not even over analyzing, but say the, the heavy, uh, heavy analysis and thoughtfulness around something before taking an action. I think there's a lot of people who you'll see a repeated pattern of they're very thoughtful and intentional in what they do. And probably they're going to be a lot more cautious about those kind of things. Like you're describing where you say you want to understand something. You want to feel like you know that, you know, it's what you want mm-hmm. and money definitely is an easy thing to factor into that. But I bet that if a person has that sort of a mental analysis that it's beyond money, it's not something where a person, Maybe, yeah. cause you reach a threshold where you say you may have enough money, but then something else is expensive enough. You hit that same wall of there's always a layer of analysis. Like you're going to hit that threshold where you want to think about it. And there's other people who that's not a factor because you, yeah. You go on how you feel. Like some people, they see something and it's entirely how they feel, which is as a, a bit of a tangent, something that I found really interesting about some of the the home organization video. Um, I'm trying to remember uh, the, the woman who had the show on Netflix about it, but it was like when you were going through your home, if you really were at that place where you needed to organize things, you needed to see and keep the things that matter to you. So, right. like, oh, I have that problem. I have a fuckload of shit I don't need. Yeah. <laughs> and and it was like, does this thing intrinsically make you feel happy? And if it doesn't, you probably shouldn't keep it. Like right. if it's not something that intrinsically brings you joy, then I mean, it's the old the old issue of a person always lives in the space they have. So no matter how big or small, you always fill the space you have because it's there. Mm-hmm. And that's like in, inherently how people have just unbelievable messes. And yeah. I mean, Oh yeah. My house is a <laughs> fucking disaster with three kids, dude. Yeah. No, and, and I, I don't want to pretend like uh, behind me, there's not piles of things or anything of that nature, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, but it's it's something that's always struck me funny in 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 thinking about it. Where I go, like looking through and organizing things and going, like I don't want to get rid of this, but when I think about it, I don't really care either. Yeah, and then that's where it becomes easier to say, okay, well, I can step back and detach myself and say this doesn't matter. I can get rid of it, and then we can move on. And like honestly, that was something uh, when when vehicles and stuff like people a lot of times assign an emotional value to a vehicle and memories so Mm -hmm. like oh it was my first pickup i don't want to get rid of it but in also in that vein that isn't practical like it's so it's a balance of practical and emotional and sometimes that's super hard to overcome in a in a reasonable way so I don't know. It's it's I interesting to yeah. be aware of, and then also to, <laughs> to try to cognate through. Yeah, there's certain things like it, it depends on the person too. I think, like you said, like some people like it's their first vehicle, and and there's like a sentimental value. But like, 
some people would attach like a sentimental value because like it's their first vehicle and like you know it maybe it was like a milestone in their life like i got my license and i got this car when i was 17 or something and and i had so much fun you know being able to like just first time just go out and do stuff my parents like let me go i could go you know if i wanted mcdonald's i didn't have to ask anybody like me and my friend would just go to mcdonald's and and there's a lot of good memories attached to something like that but those memories don't have anything to do with the car necessarily they're they're not dependent on the vehicle existing currently yeah exactly so like you'll get a new car and it'll do the same thing right right (laughs) and like so I can see that, but there's also a different type of person maybe that like is really into cars mm-hmm. and their first car has the, you know, similar qualities to it. But at the same time, there's another layer to it where it's their first car and they are a car person. Right. Yeah. Cause say- I've met older people that have kept their first car forever. Mm-hmm. Not very many. I will say that. It's usually like a wealthier person or something like that. But like they'll have their first car they had and they'll have taken care of it. And like I've seen people hand down their first Mm -hmm. car to their son as like a classic. Yeah. And they've kept it and maintained it. Mm -hmm. And I've seen stuff like that where it's like, okay, that's cool. Mm -hmm. But that's because that person is a car person. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's a little different, I guess, in that yeah. aspect. Yeah, I, I absolutely follow what you're saying. And and sometimes, well, like in in our particular situation, actually, um, my wife, she was very, very close to her grandfather. And when he'd passed, he and, and they had given us their car. And mm-hmm. so it was, and it was sort of a, an outrageous, it's like a lime green four-door sedan and it's oh man i'm trying to think it's like it's not it's not a cutlass but it's an old like um 80s um 80s buick and so it's it's (laughs) but it's this neon (laughs) bright green and everybody gets a kick out and anytime you drive around it everybody is always watching and waving and so that's funny so like something that he had painted yeah, they did it specifically okay. in custom. And nice. so there was like So well, it does have some val- like meaning. Yeah. Like he really cared about it. Yeah. And it was something that it was that all the family every year would get together and ride through the parade in it. And so it was something that was like a a, a family thing through generations that way. Uh I'm yeah. sorry, I gotta check the kiddo real quick. Sorry to Yeah, go pause. ahead. I'll pause. Persons will say that like the the doing is is the way to make it happen and so it's just mm-hmm. like the people have these invisible habits where like for me i do these uh, household tasks and i it takes me this amount of time at the lime green car uh it really was something that held a lot of memories across several family members and so that was something where i only knew him for a few years, uh, but I mean, I mean, great guy. I mean, and yeah. everybody talked to great guy, and it was just a kind of a cool thing that we were able to get as a piece of the family history that way. And mm-hmm. 
it's something that just sort of makes everyone smile by the nature of it's a little bit goofy, which sort of fit his personality. Yeah. So the sentimental value of it's a thing that makes happiness exist. And Mm -hmm. so it's, and it's so closely tied to that, that it's like, okay, I totally get where wanting to have this is a good thing. And it's different than just having something to have it. So yes, again, it's, there's some interesting how some individual things can specifically do that where it isn't that it holds memories, but it holds emotion for people. Yep. And I don't, I, I, I found that kind of interesting of like how to evaluate what a person keeps or doesn't keep and sentiment is yeah. like, it's really what it is. Yeah. Right. Like kind of like an old photo book or like, you know, I, I have a bunch of stuff that Christ, I'll, I'll go into storage or I'll be going looking for something and I'll find something else and I'll go, and even though it's just in a box somewhere mm-hmm. tucked away and I haven't seen it in years or whatever. And, and you're looking for something else completely to, that you actually want to use and then you come across the thing and you go oh I forgot I had I forgot this was here I forgot I had this but when those things when you come across those things and they give you a sense of happiness mm-hmm. that you kept it I think those things are worth keeping yeah. like even so you haven't seen it in years mm-hmm. like I do that with things here and there like um my grandfather um, had like passed away and my grandmother passed away, you know, a few years later and they gave me like, you know, I got a bu- I got like a bunch of their stuff because I ended up buying um, the apartment building that they owned at one point. And so they had like all their stuff in storage and. You know, the aunts and all my aunts and uncles, they, you know, took stuff they wanted or whatever, some of the important stuff. And there was just a bunch of stuff still left over. And some of the stuff, I, like, nobody was claiming. And I saw it and I was like, I don't want to get rid of this stuff. Like, yeah. like I got his uh, army fucking burlap bag with his name printed on it and like his dog tags and like little stuff like that. And it's like, you know, I, it's stuffed in a corner in a closet or something, but then like I go looking for something and I see it and I go, ah, oh. yeah. like, I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I have that. Am I ever going to put stuff in this bag? No, but <laughs> am I going to display yeah. it? Probably not. It's hard to display a fucking barrel canvas bag, but, <laughs> but like, yeah. it's got his name on it from the military and I want it. Like I'm going to keep it. And mm-hmm. Just like little oddities like that are just always cool to come across. You know, if it's something that's messing up your house, that's different. That's usually trash. Like shit that's just out in the way. That's usually garbage. But something that like you put in like a box or something like that and it's sentimental. Like that's a different thing, I think. And to sort of springboard from that then, I I reached the ultimate conundrum of I have a like a wooden toy box from when I was a kid and I've got some oh, of my yeah. old toys in it and it kills me every time 
we have to go through the kids' toys and we have to say, are we choosing what we're <laughs> passing on and getting getting rid of, or are they choosing? Because when you ask them, they want to keep everything. Like there's nothing that they want to get rid of, and yep. it's a matter of is this really a choice that I should be making for them? Like as a parent, I should be part of this, but I also recognize like I remember toys that were special to me and I can remember the exact pattern on some of my old GI Joe yeah. Yeah. and like the ones that I lost or the ones that got broke. And I, I still have some of them and some of them it's like the, all the paints worn off, the thumbs are all broken off them and there's, they're barely working. I replaced the rubber bands inside of them two or three times, but everything's still there. And it's, it's a special thing because of the memories and it's something where I sort of catch myself sometimes when we're picking up around the house going, I wonder what it is that triggers our kids that way too. Like, what is it that they yeah. have that I don't see? Like I see them, there's some things that are like their favorites or favorites for a while, but like how it's phases. Yeah. But like, how can I ever count on what's that thing that, three decades later, they'll look back and go, man, I wish I had that. And, yep. <laughs> and again, yeah. also like, is the memory. It comes down to sometimes is abundance too. too. Like we've, we've, we've gone through like their toys and just thrown shit away because these days, man, you have a birthday and a Christmas and a this and that. And then every relative shows up and gives them a piece <laughs> of plastic that goes in a landfill, dude. Yeah. And it's like, it's cool. Like I, when I was a kid, I had, I'm not going to say I didn't have a lot of toys. I did, but like my bucket of Legos, I, I had a, I had a billion little art, those little green army men. I had oh, yeah. a fuckload yeah. of like figurines mm -hmm. and I had a bunch feet. of Legos and stuff. Right. But like none of that shit, like do I have memories of it, but none of it do I want, mm -hmm. but the stuff I do want, like the stuff I keep most of the stuff I cared about was like a little bit older in life. Mm -hmm. Not so much like the, the toys when I was really young. But like there was a handful of toys that I got. My great grandfather would make stuff out of wood. Okay. Yeah. And some of those things I like. And I don't have any of them really anymore at all. But I remember those the most. Those would be the ones that I would be like, yeah, I want to keep that. But just like substitute the fact that I don't have those now mm -hmm. is when my great grandparents passed away and like some of their belongings went down to my mom and my aunts and uncles, like because they made a bunch of stuff out of wood and painted a bunch of stuff, like they have quite a bit of it floating around, mm -hmm. whether they got it while they're alive or like a few things after they passed. Eventually, like there's a couple of like, they have enough of that stuff where it's like, they can't keep all of it. And then I get to like take, so like, we're, like my mom would have a yard sale or something. And she's like, like, you know, this, you know, this is your great grandparents. And I was like, yeah, I know. And she's like, I, you know, I don't want to get rid of their stuff, but like, I have enough of their memories around already. I don't need all of it. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take it. Like, <laughs> I'm like, don't sell it. I'll take it. And like, I have this hideous wooden, my grandfather made a wooden like uh 
It's like a decorative wooden watering can. So like it's just like a bunch of planks, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, screwed together cool. in like a canister with like a little fake spout and a fake top and a fake handle. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother would paint. My grandfather would make stuff out of wood and my grandmother would paint it. Nice. And part of what made it so special to me was my great-grandmother had crippling arthritis and her fingers were fucking buckled. Like, mm. like, I don't know if I can, if you can see, like, imagine your fingers were like this all the time. That's what her hands look like. Man. They had like, they had like special salt shakers and like every, like really big salt shakers so she could hold them, like all kinds of stuff like that. But she loved painting. She would do paint by numbers, like all day, puzzles, paint by numbers, stuff like that. But like if my great grandfather made something out of wood, she would paint like a design on it, like, like a, like a fully decorative design. And so like I you know, there's a couple of things like that around. Like I grabbed this watering can that was like baby blue with like this hideous, like I say hideous, but like you know what I mean. Like it doesn't fit anywhere. Mm-hmm. But like it's just like this really decorative design and it I have an attachment to it because of all that history. Mm-hmm. And like am I gonna put it like on my fucking TV stand or nightstand to display? Probably not. It doesn't really fit my decor. But I have it and I'm not getting rid of it. Like, <laughs> yep. like it's just like so like, you know, I substituted the the toys that that like he made me when I was a kid mm-hmm. that I really am fond of. And part of the fondness does come from them passing and like, you know, lifetime memories. But I substituted that with like a different thing that they they left me. So like the memory just carries into the other thing, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It's not necessarily the object, but whatever the thing that makes me attached to them, I fi- I can I can still place it into a different thing. Yeah. As long as I have something, I guess. Yeah. No. For I, that I to attach that. to. That's cool. Yeah, and and then that's an interesting look into it. Like, I often wonder, like, as me and my wife get older and everything, like, is there something that we'll have as uh, as like a legacy item? Like, is there something that we have as a hobby that would pass on? Like, I I enjoy woodworking, and mm-hmm. I don't, I haven't really done any woodworking projects for years, but I could. S- really see myself enjoying something like that and especially like it's silly but like the one of the most fun things i had as a kid was wood blocks like my grandpa had a wood shop and he just literally took and cut a bunch of small rectangular blocks they painted them green and i played with those for years and that was like that was before that was like when you didn't have legos yeah. Like a block, you would make shit out of just pieces of wood, like blocks mm-hmm. of wood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and it's just something like yeah, another one of those things is just in a person's mind where you go, man, I wonder if like, even if it's something simple, like making something small and then especially like, is that something I could get my kids involved with? Is like, would that be 
something I can, even if it isn't something they really enjoy doing long term, is that something that would build a memory with them? Like, is that something that they can enjoy for what that is? So, yeah, I think a lot of the times those those memories they they can't be they can't be manufactured. It's just like you just have to like go through life and, and try to enjoy it, and then those things will the things that they take you have no control over. Yeah, that's fair. You know, because like I had no idea what what I was gonna like or care about. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. now that I'm older, I go back and I go, yeah, I like that because of that. But like mm-hmm. at the time, I had no idea what that was like <laughs> at yeah. all. Yeah, and and there's a lot of things where, like, I wonder if I go back and like honestly something that I enjoyed a lot as a kid. Uh, and a teenager was welding, like welding and torch mm-hmm. work. My dad and my grandpa both <clears throat> were uh, very good welders and they were in the Navy and did weld work and mechanic work. And so that carried over uh, to the farm. Like we grew up on a farm and so. Fixing your own stuff and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And so they taught me that and it was something I enjoyed, but probably I didn't do that much of. But it was something mm-hmm. I enjoyed and then did some at school. And then when I went to college, it was um, my my degrees in manufacturing. And so we had hands-on shop classes and stuff that way. So it was all stuff that, again, whether it's an emotional tie back to say, oh, yeah, I remember this thing. And so I've enjoyed and carried that through. But I don't know if I ever would get my a, a welder now and like whether that would right. hold any value be, priorities uh, right i mean yeah. there's always so much you can do i've yeah. said that too man i've been like man and that comes out to like uh someone who likes to do stuff on their own it's like i wish i had i wish i had every tool like i i wish i never had to ask anybody else to do something until i've gotten a chance to try doing it myself Mm-hmm. And then some things, you know, sometimes like, you know, you don't specialize enough and you need some, somebody to do it, but like almost everything I'd rather try and tackle at least a little bit, at least small stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and that's something even like working on the cars, like I enjoy doing that. And then the exact 10 seconds later, I think, but man, it's so nice to be able to drop a vehicle off and have someone else get it up and running and I can take care of the other stuff. Like yep. knowing that it comes I'm down not- to time, how much time you have and what yeah. are your priorities? Mm-hmm. Right. Like I enjoy fixing my own stuff, like my own cars and stuff too. I, I, you know, I've worked on cars for a long time now and, but like at the same time, part of the reason why if I work on my own stuff at all now, it's out of necessity. It's not out of choice. If I had choice, if I had, if I had $5,000 in my pocket, you'd be damn sure that that car is in the shop right mm-hmm. now and tell me what's wrong with it and fix all of it. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't want to deal with, it. I don't want the car to be broken. Like I need this car daily. Mm-hmm. Just get it like, take care of it. Like get it running good. I don't want to be back here tomorrow. <laughs> like, yep. yep. And yeah, it's like, you know, it comes down to like time. It comes out of time. Like what, what's your time worth? Is there other stuff you'd rather be doing? Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you work all day 
and then come home and then it's like the car, something's wrong with the car. It's like, yeah, I'll take a look at it. You know, if it seems like it's something minor for sure. But like, if something's wrong, am I going to park the car and work on it all night to make sure that it's ready to go in the morning? Like, <laughs> that's exactly the kind of scenario I'm thinking of. Like, like, like it's gotta I be running. I, I have to use it. Yeah. <laughs> like that moment of, I know I could do this, but I don't know how much actual time that would take. And yep. you have that one bolt that twists off and then, oh my God, this just turned into a three day yeah. project. And it's, it's, it's bananas now with the cars these days. It's like, you can't just fit most of the stuff you can't just fix on your own. Like, like, could, like, you know, a smart person, a, a handy person could eventually figure out how to do something probably. Mm-hmm. But how, like you said, how much time are you taking? How many parts are you going to order and get the wrong one of? Mm-hmm. before you fix it how many days is the car down yeah how much other stuff for your day-to-day are you neglecting because you're spending all your time underneath the car or like right and it's and 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 that's something where then i also go man i appreciate that there are people who are professionals in their fields and i can just go to them for the help and uh, like there's that moment of like this the the convenience is worth the the cost because it's going to be done and it's going to be done without having to redo it. Like there's, yeah. there's that, I don't, and maybe that's pride where a person sort of pause and go, well, I want to do this. Is it that I want to do it or that I want to know that I can do it? <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, dude, modern cars are humbling real quick. I believe it. You're yeah. You work on a few cars, a few of your own cars that are modern and and spend so much money and the amount of time you put in and then, and then and then you fix, you know, you fix some of it. And then at the end of it, you try to fix all of it. But at the end, you go, you just hit a wall where you go, fuck. Yeah. And then you end up bringing it to the shop anyways. <laughs> well, and, and I here a few years back and hit sort of a strange scenario where my pickup was just running terrible. Like anytime I go to the store, just, just uh-huh. it did not feel right. And checked everything, checked uh, plugs, wires, all the standard ignition stuff. And then looked it over and by pure happenstance of just tracing and picking over the, the wires, I came across one of the fuel injector uh, actuators, the, the wire was broken in the, in the cable cluster. And so mm-hmm. I was able to fix that because otherwise, because that's an entire harness. And so yep. I repaired that individual point. Otherwise it would have been some several hundred to replace that entire cluster because it would have gone across about, was so like 20 different connectors. And yep. I mean, it was a whole nest of wires that would have been unwrapped through there. And then it perfect just fine after that. But yeah, um, and it was something. Sometimes what you pay for is time too. So like, yeah. you know, today's cars are it's all electronics. Like, now I have gripes about the automotive industry now, in general, because I work in it and I think it's a joke. But mechanics now are. I'm not trying to overstate this, but like mechanics now are, they're electricians. Mm -hmm. They're, they're, 
they have basic plumbing knowledge. They have mechanical knowledge. They have all this stuff. And not only that, a lot of them are trained specifically for a certain brand of franchise mm-hmm. on top of that. When you, and mean, you kind of have to because right. if you don't specialize. You have to specialize. Be, yeah. Because the sheer massive information complexity there, yeah. it's like, oh, this this uh, type of this uh, vehicle line this is a characteristic, but that isn't necessarily going to carry over to all of them. And so... No, they're all different. I mean, there's the basics are there, but they're all engineered and designed by different engineers. Mm-hmm. And there's so many components in a car. It's like, it's 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 absurd. Like, I do body work, so like, I see the absurdity firsthand where like, I work on a Toyota and it's fucking easy to take apart and put together. But I work on a different vehicle and it blows my mind that this this manufacturer puts their stuff together. We're talking like just bumper covers and trim and, and things like that. It's like the connector, uh, the, the pins, the push pins and the connectors they use. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, I can take apart this company's bumper. No problem. Right. And it's these bumpers aren't falling off on the road or anything but then i go over to this brand and it's like every single fucking uh every single pin that you have to take off to remove the bumper breaks when you take it off yeah and it's like why are you still using these connectors (laughs) yeah the knowledge is out there everybody has the knowledge and it's like, <laughs> why is your stuff put together like this, but this company's stuff is put together like this? It's so easy, and yours is so difficult. It's like a nightmare because you, you, you we get cars in that have been in an accident or whatever, and you run through an estimate. And it's very difficult, I guess, depending on the size of the shop. Some shops have very specific, like, this guy is an estimator. This guy is a body man. This guy's a prep guy. This guy's a painter. And it's very like assembly line style. So like eventually the estimators get really good at mm-hmm. spotting out every little thing. And, but like when you're a little bit smaller shop, it's like, you know, the insurance company writes up an estimate, but then it's your job to tear it down and make sure that they got everything. And then you try to think you get everything, but at the same time you have another job that you've started and you're halfway through over here and then this part's over here and this car like everything's it's difficult to be an inventory specialist in one moment and then also a repair guy in another moment it's like a different mindset yep so like sometimes like just it's really frustrating when you'd be working on a toyota over here and it's like yeah this is everything's a 10 millimeter bolt or screw (laughs) and the clips are a certain type of clip and the clips have been the same for a bunch of years and then you go over to this brand and you like tear it down but then when you write up all the stuff that you need to get ordered you're missing some of the hardware Mm -hmm. it's like because fuck it's like you know not only are you looking for all the damaged components of the vehicle but then it's like what individual pieces of hardware do I need? Sometimes yeah. it's like a chrome strip 
that that goes across the top of a door frame above the window. Mm-hmm. And there's a very specific type of rivet that holds the chrome strip on top of that window. And it's a tiny, tiny little rivet that's like this big in aluminum. But it's a specific rivet that has a nylon sleeve on it. Uh, it's, yep. <laughs> it's like, and it's yeah. like you, you're like, you, you know, you're, and you may not even be replacing that part, but you have to take it off mm-hmm. and then put it back on. But then you forget, I need to make sure I have 17 of these rivets yep. to put it back on. And then you're like, you go to put it back together and you're like, fuck. And yeah. then the boss is pissed. <laughs> and, and the worst type of scenario where you say you, you tighten the first rivet and it doesn't feel right. And then you realize it needed the sleeve and you go, we didn't order an extra. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> then yeah. The boss goes, one. how many do you need? And you go, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. Then like the first one, you try to put it on and maybe something was off a little. And then like it pulls through the hole and you're like, fuck, yep. I only had eight. Yep. And, <laughs> and to order an one, costs more than to order 70. So one rivet <laughs> is like delaying the job a whole day. Uh-huh. Yep. And when you work for insurance companies, kill yourself. Yeah. That's all I got to say. Yep. No, I can see where that would be maddening. It's just frustrating. And I, I feel, you know, I work in the body shop and like actual technicians are a different thing. I feel for them too, because all the stuff they have to know, it just blows my mind like the amount that the amount that our country values labor and stuff like that it just drives me insane like to me we don't value some of the trades enough to me the trades get valued well when you are your own boss like if you're like a, a furnace guy and you run your, and you're like, I'm a furnace repair technician and I am my own furnace repair technician mm-hmm. and I run my own company. Maybe I have one other guy, two other guys. That guy can make decent amount of money. But if you're a furnace repair guy for fucking this huge company, you get paid dick mm-hmm. or somebody, unless there's a union involved. If there's a union involved, typically it stays well. Like construction workers, welders, you know, uh, plumbing, like plumbers for like a plumber's union, like construction plumbers, mm-hmm. contractors, stuff like that. But as far as like your like your regular mechanics at a, at a dealership or something like that, it's like they... They pay for your training. There's some good benefits and stuff, but it's like your hourly rate, what you take home, it's like you're screwed and it's all flat rate. Like, Yeah, I could see where that would be real brutal to to try and work around. Like, Yeah, I, I think that as a whole, you're absolutely on point that as sort of a society, we've, we've lost the, I guess, assigned value to the, the everyday persons and tasks yeah. that are needed and everybody, I don't know if clout or just everybody wants to have the, the bigger paycheck of the, the, 
of the managerial job and yeah there's not that always or you get the inverse of there are all these jobs but we still need all these others and we need to reward people for that because if there's not an incentive to do that then (laughs) you reach a real hard break point of then there's no one that does that and then there's a huge demand and anyone who does it is a extremely over overdrawn and sometimes people over will be, price accordingly but other times it's just like i cannot do 40 jobs this week i have to spread this out and it's going to be multi weeks to wait and people get cranky about that when yep. it's a reality of yep. like that's just what's available and people don't like to have to wait oh it's that's that's a real but but I think I, I've got it like in the past like few years or so, I've started to like pay attention to more like political things and like economical things and stuff like that. And probably just by happenstance, but it's come across my radar and it, you know, something that just started to like recognize and pay attention to more. And it's like, what it comes down to, to me is like, I can attribute a lot of like our problems as a society to like the fact that the middle-class person is poor Mm -hmm. comparatively to what it used to be. And Mm -hmm. I think back to like, like my great grand, like our, my grandparents or great grandparents days, like, did they have less stuff? Yes. Okay. So like what it comes down to is like, it's all proportional, right? Like, do we have a lot of shit that we don't fucking need? Absolutely. Are we spoiled or are we really living really good lives? For sure. But the entire country is mm-hmm. also like on, like in generalization, like the entire country is also living this good of a, a life. Proportionally, our middle class, working class person is just struggling way more than they used to. Well, and and I think that really brings up the good question. Like you're saying of what's the, the modern equivalency to the previous? Is it, is it a one-to-one as things stand now? Like is a, a 1960s family and house equivalent to what the same kind of thing would be now? Or is it a bigger slice of the pie for mortgages because like mortgages and food I think are probably the biggest bite out of people's standard income but mm-hmm. I mean like living in living necessities that way and you want to get beyond that you can say like niceties of u- utilities and uh, I mean that's maybe general over generalizing but like saying subscription services for internet and everything. I don't think that's what's driving it up. I think it's That's that, not the expensive shit. Yeah, I think that like when you that's break pretty, down yeah. costs, I, I think it's uh you say it's people's home and their houses, food. cars, insurance. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, and then maybe that's what it is. You say maybe more people are holding a higher vehicle payment for a longer period of time. But by the same token, I know in talking with my dad, he said that vehicles now are lasting way longer than they used to. So 
yeah maybe that cost is is an equivalency because you get more life out of the same price i again i i feel like i would agree beyond i would agree to that except you used to be able to fix your vehicle easy peasy so like yeah your your truck would break down but any carpenter with half a brain hmm. could f- realize that there's something wrong with the fuel system and there was only four components in the fuel system and they could go to the store and in a couple of days have whatever component it was and they could change it and then they'd be back and running. Hmm. Well, that's fair. You know what I mean though? Like, yeah. But nowadays if your car breaks, fucking you need an engineer. Like, yeah, it, I, 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 hundred percent agree that from from an automotive perspective things are extraordinarily more complicated than they used to be like the from a repair and, standpoint from yeah. just operation and for cost like everything's way more expensive that way now maybe i'm not oblivious to the fact that like yeah we're we're you know we're paying more, but we're getting more. Like, I understand we're getting more probably out of the vehicle. Like, there's a lot more comforts and stuff like that. And little things that we don't necessarily need. But at I mean, the same I- time, at the same time, it's weird. It's a double-edged sword because, like, we didn't ask for those things. The manufacturers were competitive with each other and they started to provide those things. And then Which, the market was just like, if if this car costs similar to this car, but this one has this amenity, yeah, I'm going to pick that. You know what and, I mean? And, and yeah, I follow what you're saying. There's definitely some of that where you get price structures for the capitalistic market where you're going to have competing setups that way. But even from the standpoint of you've got different models and different manufacturers that are going to try and undercut to get that same uh, market and placeholding spot. I mean, I think that sort of counters a little bit or tries to address that. Maybe not counters, but tries to address that. Um, But I guess specifically what I was thinking of is like you get more from the same car in that like again, automotively, you'd get a hundred thousand miles out of a, a car in yep. mid-century uh, from previous automobiles, and now you can get half a million if you do the basics. Like if you change oil if you, regularly, if you're diligent, yep. Yeah. Like yep. you you don't you don't really have to do a lot. You just have to make sure you don't not do it. And as long as you, yep. If, as long I, as you, I would disagree slightly. Okay. I would say some. Some vehicles, yes. Some vehicles are notoriously good, reliable okay. cars okay. in that way. But there's so many components to a car these days. Part of that is due to regulation, mm-hmm. safety regulation and all that shit mm-hmm. that we have no control of. And this is like a, a gripe I've gotten to, I've heard about, you know, through like political speak and stuff like that. It's like, the overregulation of the government to protect its citizenry only hurts the small guy. Same thing with business. 
really big business and industry, they lobby for more regulation mm. because they have so much money they can afford to adapt to the regulation, whereas the competitive guy who's coming up cannot afford a lobby to keep his business running with all of these regulations. Because think about like a huge, like for example, a huge pharmaceutical company, right? They're making millions and billions of dollars. And if the government puts a stricter regulation, they have so much leeway. They have all of the, all of the, well, manpower and different departments and all that stuff to like navigate how to adjust to the regulation. And they have all the capital. They can upgrade the laboratory or upgrade the equipment or change the protocols. Mm -hmm. But like some up and coming biochemistry lab who the person that's doing it may be very passionate about medicine and they're very smart and they're brilliant. They don't have the money to follow this standard that you've set. No, I I, I agree. It it kills. So like all the rich people stay rich. It, it definitely, it, it definitely is a complicated situation because some of the regulation probably is ill-founded in what it's done or why it's being done. But there's definitely some stuff too, where it's like there are people who are as passionate about doing the right thing in those protection actions where you say, Oh, for sure. I, I mean, no, for, yeah, it's definitely for, rooted in good. Like on the face of it, you're like, if we do this, we'll be saving people's health or people's lives or, or whatever, etc. I, I, fully understand that but it's just frustrating because i think it is complicated it's very it's very complicated super complicated there's so many variables i mean you you almost reach a break point of a a societal break point of when do you decide everyone's in it together because again part of the problem with a capitalistic society is that everything's so competitive that you mm-hmm. want to drive other people out of business. And right. So you want to be the person everyone comes to and be able to dictate how that works. Yes. But everyone else wants you to not be the only person in that market <laughs> because then they're in that situation where you're the only one they can come to. But if yeah. you talk to a true capitalist, they always believe that competition is healthy. But if the biggest companies can eliminate the competition, then they'll do that. And that's not healthy. Yet they're reaping all the benefits of the capitalistic system. Mm. But the capitalistic system is not set up correctly because of an, oh, I think, in my opinion, an overreach of government. I, I, I always get such mixed feelings about something like this where it's like, I, because people are not, idealistic in the way they actually perform things it really complicates Mm -hmm. it because if people were able to actually unify see and execute things uniformly right then it would be great and then you have the situation of well who decides what's the right thing to do 
and you run into very, let's say, more realistically gray, and then beyond that, where people will get things done, but at what cost? And then right. you can get huge advancements, but it's at a huge, uh, huge ethical toll. And then mm-hmm. there's times where you say, okay, there's a huge um, ethical achievement, but at a huge economical cost. And what's the right move? And who should make it? It's hard that call? to me- really hard to measure, right? Like, what yeah. what is that economical cost? In the in the end, what is that economical cost ethically? Mm-hmm. And you know, and and then like, okay, do you value the persons over the process, or do you say it shakes out in the end where the ends justify the means? I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. I, I can't claim to uh, say I'm going to know what the right way to do things is, but anytime I start to think about it very much, I just go, oh my God, just everything's so complicated. It's an unsolvable <laughs> problem. Like, yeah. Conundrum of existence. <laughs> it's a fucking nightmare. It really is. And I do see both sides. Like, I understand, like, the, the idea that, you know, let's put more protections in because we're going to help people. And I get that. But the problem I have is as a society, I feel like we claim to want freedom and stuff like that. But a lot of people don't want to incur the risks of that freedom individually. They want somebody else to save them. Yeah. They want, and and it drives me insane, you know, like that sort of a viewpoint, like, no, like the government will take care of us. The government take care of us. And I understand like the government's good. Like it's nice to have them to take care of certain things and protect certain things. But like a lot of people just want to give them more and more and more so that like they don't have to worry about anything. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just, I think that's very selfish. And yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I, from, and that's where, again, I always come back to a, from a a moral standpoint, my gut reaction is always, I would rather have less, give more and have people edge more towards that, that, that commune style of, of living where people are equally sharing and equally caring about each other. But it only works in really that, small portions though. Right. I mean, and then that's the problem is you have to have such a strong ethical system to support a true sociological system because otherwise the ideals might be there, but the, if the execution isn't, then it doesn't matter. And you really right. hit this quandary where it sours people immediately and you see the inequality and it sucks. And it's it's such a hard place because you say, we want to do the good and you want to be able to put that in place, but you see how that can fail. And yeah, man, that's a hard place. I to- think we're seeing it now. I just <laughs> think it's the, that the idea that you're talking about is it's awesome. It sounds awesome. It's just that it, it just can't work at the scale that everybody's trying to make it work at. Like all of those ideas work really well, the smaller and smaller you get. Like, hmm. like there's this notion, I, I, I don't, I'm going to mess up the terminology because I, 
I'm bad with terminology. There's so many terms out there for this stuff, but like I've heard this theory or whatever, this idea that like most family structures are authoritarian. Mm-hmm. And then most friend groups are communal. And then most neighborhoods are this. And then mo and like as you go out, the further and further you get, the further away you get from like the authority. Mm-hmm. And it works that way. In a small group, you can have an authoritarian structure like your family. Whereas like the parents are in charge of the kids, these are the rules. And we're doing this because you haven't developed yet. And it's our house and we own it and you're going to follow our rules. And when you get older, you can go off on your own and you can change your, if you don't like exactly how it was here, you can change how you live, et cetera. And and you'll grow and do more stuff. But then like you step out from the family and you got like the friend group and most friend groups, if you're all friends are very communal where like, if your friend has trouble, you're going to help them. If you go out to dinner, somebody's going to pay for everything or you're all going to pay together. Or if your friend's car is broken, you're going to go over and help him fix it. Or if your friend needs help fixing his bathroom, you're going to go over and help. Like It's very communal. Mm -hmm. But the further away you get from this small size, Mm -hmm. the harder and harder it is to have that type of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. That sociological. Because the the responsibility can't be kept track of. And and I see that that is the natural failing and success of sort of the human race in that our differences are what create the borders. Like you yep. see the borders of communities impact and that's where conflict arises and it polarizes. Right. And when people see a side they choose and then it gets more complicated and it gets more hardened and more reinforced of, well, this is the way we think. And it really builds, I don't know if even artificial animosity is the right word for it, but you get people who care about people. I mean, in in a broad scope, everyone is just people. And like, that's the, the thing I've seen anywhere when you look at a granular scale, like you're saying, like families are families, communities are communities, and they care about each other. But once you get a few layers removed and you start seeing the differences, then people start picking up and saying the difference. And it's really hard to maintain that unified caring of course when people start to see the differences and remember and then say it over and over again which it's just lo- if you think about it, it's very logical to like the further away you get from what you know and the more difference you see to ask somebody to like not see differences mm-hmm. the further and further steps out you get the less and less information you understand about the cluster. That's almost impossible. Well, here's the kicker then. That's what regulation solves because it, it puts everyone on the same page. <laughs> no, but it, no, but that, no, all that does is put a fence around everybody 
and tell everybody you have to operate within this structure, even though you're standing next to a bunch of people that you see as very different. Yes. I, I, again, I, I'm, I'm being a bit uh, facetious in saying that, but I, no, I get way, the sentiment. Like that's the idea. Authoritarian base at a higher level to re- realign the misalignments that people hold. I don't but, think you can, I don't think you can ever, ever, ever legislate social issues away. And, and I don't think you're wrong. I guess the, the other side of that is though, how do you get people to allow social uh, non-normatives to exist freely? Because yeah. you know, having the communities exist and be different and be able to exist on their own and interact with each other. Like, again, that's saying from the standpoint of with you don't need the governmental interaction. If you scale that back, does the government pr- make that border and create the differences or are they smoothing that over? Like, are they the problem or the solution? I mean, from, from the standpoint of a lot of people coming from, they say it it's creating the problem and i guess that's where is it entirely off base to say that they're trying to get everyone to see and align with the same thing is that is that the wrong way to approach it because i think it is because what i think what happens is is with this with this extra pressure for to try and get everybody to fucking do the same shit very follow this like follow this line kind of deal people naturally people are naturally repelled by that because it goes against what they believe and it and what happens is now nobody is focused on humanity hmm. everybody's focused on this other shit that you're that you're blocking off hmm. like you're you're saying do all these things even though most of you don't agree so when like so when it is important for everybody the, the areas that are important for everybody to come together on nobody can focus on that because they're they're already being balked they're already balking because of the other thing that you've split in half mm-hmm with these regulations like or this law or policy or I don't know whatever you want to call it but like yeah. in my mind the best thing you can do is and I honestly I believe the founding fathers had this in mind when they started it was like the 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 federal government should just basically uphold the constitution and protect the nation at scale mm-hmm. and leave areas to congregate on their own. Mm-hmm. And the smaller and smaller you get, the more niche your lifestyle can get. And then what happens is everybody's happy in their pocket. And then nobody's telling them what to do in their pocket. And then those people will go into somebody else's pocket for business or for vacation or whatever. And they're going to go, I understand I'm in your pocket right now. I chose to come here. 
so I will follow your stuff. Mm. You know what I mean? But right now it's like they try to make everybody just follow this straight and narrow. And it's like, well, what the, what the fuck? Like, yeah, I, now. <laughs> I always feel like I can, I can sort of see both perspectives and how if things were in an idealistic scenario, how both could work, but at present scale, neither really do work very well. Right. And I, I guess that's something that always sort of bothers me of like, what's the end game for people? Is it that you you lose both ways or like, because I have to believe that people as, as a civilization, we have to be able to do better. I mean, there's got to be a point where, somebody has enough people agree that we should do something better, something different. And I just don't have any scope as to what that would be because neither end of the spectrum is working very well because we have to realize that our country is the most mixed, most free nation ever created ever. Hmm? And And, and, people still come here and then complain about, it not being free enough, it's like, well, do you realize if you were somewhere else, you'd be way worse off? And I understand try to make it better, but like, mm-hmm. why don't you allow it to to roll rather than try and like shove it into this? Like each group wants to shove it into their own ideology. Yeah, and, and I don't want to over to undersell the fact that again. We, we live and exist in a place of extreme privilege by what we can do without fear of recourse. Mm-hmm. And also the things we're able to just enjoy in, in daily lives. Like it's, it is acceptable. Yeah. We have a very, we are very, very spoiled. <laughs> and then there's the other side where there's still things I think we can do better. And oh, absolutely. I, I, I just feel like a lot of things that, we we can do better like a lot of this stuff like especially like the social issues like as far as race or or different things like that like i feel like most people aren't worried about that like most people don't care what race you are or what your culture is as long as their life isn't being affected by it like i'm I'm, super happy to go to like somebody else's house that even if they were like what if like if I met somebody who was Muslim and I have no idea about Muslim culture at all, Mm -hmm. as far as like what I've seen on TV and that's about it. Right. Like I know very little about it. Mm -hmm. If I met a guy and he was Muslim and he invited me over, I'd go over there. And if he was in a, if I I understood I was going into their culture and, and I was like, yeah, teach me, you know, I'll, I'm going to respect you, your house. I'm going to respect yourself. If I wanted to be friends with him or if I wanted to go over there, it would be up to me to, you know, respect their wishes, etc. Like, I'd be fine with that as long as it wasn't like they were telling me to do something in my house kind of a deal. Like, I feel like that's why, like, I, this is why I'm a libertarian, basically, mm-hmm. is because we have all these cultures in this country and it should be celebrated. And that's and why I, we started. And and I feel like, I, I guess maybe throughout this conversation, looking at 
my my mindset's been more towards the regulatory um, side of it and uh, how that in, is impacting people and communities on a small scale versus race and cultural uh, heritage inter- interactions because that's a whole different. Uh, oh, deal. of course, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's something yeah. that. I mean, there's not any way that you can really. I, I don't think. Like, I, I think that separation of church and state and making sure the government isn't trying to control that. I mean, that kind of a church and state or culture and state, I feel like that's a good separation. I totally agree. I so, fully agree. I, I, I feel, feel like well, most people socially are very accepting. Yeah. Well, again, aside I, from small pockets, I, I, I feel like. People are people. Like in all the different cultural, social groups that I've been in and around, uh, in here in both the U.S. and in other countries, it's been something where people are just people, and they want to be mm-hmm. themselves and celebrate who and what they are. Even people and, with different languages understand each other, yeah. like quite a bit. Like it's pretty surprising. <laughs> Yeah, I I feel like governmental regulation of safety-related things is something that, based on my interaction with industrial uh, operations in the U.S., I feel like it's good to have a scientific awareness and control measure. But I wholly agree with what you're saying of how that impacts persons at a different scale. Again, Large scale companies can afford to put multiple zeros worth of dollars into rescaling projects to hit deadlines and targets, but that isn't necessarily feasible for small companies. And it's something that's a real, it is, it's a real problem, but it's also a real problem to, but it's also a real problem to have people self-harm by doing something because they don't feel like they have a different option and that's where something where right, but, it, but it's a government where, responsibility yeah. to alleviate that you shouldn't mandate things that you can't support and so if there is a dramatic mandate that comes through they should also support people like that's that's where my yes yes comes from. if it's something safety related it has to be yeah. there to support people for the good of them, not just to drive them to an end. So I, I guess that's where my mindset goes. Yeah, so, so what, what would you say if like, instead of regulations being like a hard line on, on some stuff, it was as a country, this is the studies we've done, this is the stuff we know about, like say a specific industry or whatever. Mm-hmm. And here's the things we've come up with as far as safety. Mm-hmm. Here's the requirement of the business. Like, here's a base requirement. Like, a, a you know, it's even it's even tricky at that level. But like, government. What if the government provides? And this is even something I tip, totally agree with. But like, I think honestly, industry in our world right now is fully too big Hmm. like imagine if all the wealth from all the giant top 10 companies in each industry was divided into 50 other companies Mm -hmm. 
and all those companies could still implement the safety regulations because they'd all be sharing in the wealth. And, and when the, I agree with the, the ideology of that, I also recognize the complication with that as a whole statement as well, because you don't have, again, it, it comes back to a capitalistic society of it's good to report, reward people for doing a good job. Oh, absolutely. It's complicated absolutely. to evenly allocate uh, funds at that scale. Because if somebody is like, Hey, I did this, I earned it and I deserve to be able to do this the way I want to. That's yep. not an unreasonable viewpoint. For sure. And also, that's also derives the question in my mind of how do you build an, an ethical and emotionally tied society where people want to do the good? There are definitely people at high scale who have an enormous emotional capacity yes. to support others. And there, are, there are amazing programs out there. I fully agree. And... There are some of those things that only happen because people who are high achievers and are able to uh, create those high-level businesses and are able to set up the coordinated efforts to create those support networks. Yep. So it's, it is very tricky in that sometimes you have to have those market leaders and, and high-level persons to achieve some of those things that couldn't just be reallocated to everyone if it was evenly distributed. Like, but I, I want to clarify, it, like I'm not against very, I'm not against very large businesses or corporations mm -hmm. necessarily, yeah. mm -hmm. but I'm against the fact that they can get as large as they do by paying off other people yes. to get rich. Yes. And, the, and there are a lot of the regulations are put in, because they pay for them. Right. They pay such and such politician or a handful right. of politicians or a whole party of politicians mm -hmm. to push an agenda that helps them because they're at the top. Yes. And then yeah, they the, grow from that. And then those politicians retire and get jobs in their fucking board right. and get filthy rich. And then they get to vest in the stocks on their way up and they get filthy rich and the rich are just paying the rich to get richer. Yeah, the, the ethical heap of issues that are sort of become more systemic over time is definitely a problem. And that's something that's terrible, that it's something that's become so ingrained and frankly kind of accepted or accept, expected mm -hmm. that it's really terribly disappointing that that's the way our it's built into our government at a base scale. Because the, the fact of the matter is, Lobbyists with ill intent are are a terrible thing for us to have to even consider as a reality, let alone as an accepted reality. Yeah. Like it's 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 terribly disappointing that that's something that we just say we know it happens. We don't know how to deal with it, but I mean, I guess being aware of that is better than not being aware of it as a starting point. But. Yeah, being able this to is why this is my argument though for for less regulation is that if there wasn't a regulation to lobby for then that company would have to live and die by its merits now I'm not saying that that company like a big company is necessarily bad they make great stuff 
But you got to also remember, part of the reason they make great stuff is they have a fuckload of money. So like eventually they're going to find the right stuff. Mm. <laughs> like they're, they have the money to, to put into finding the right product or, or. But sometimes they re- they need to be required to find the right, better stuff. Like as best right, but you also as have like an up and coming fantastic material. It does amazing things, but the health ramifications are terrible, and the regulations and around. Like I, I, I guess I keep coming back to an inverse perspective here. I keep looking at this from the standpoint of uh, constrictive regulations, where you're highlighting this from allowable regulations or exceptionals. Uh, ex- ex- exceptionals, exceptions to those regulations and how to frame that for success of one versus another. And I guess that's where I keep, my mind keeps circling back to protective regulations versus enabling regulations. And okay, yeah. so from that standpoint, I, I agree that the loopholes that would be lobbied for are, are problematic, mm-hmm. but as long as regulations are are safety and I guess well researched and well founded, which again, yeah, that has to be that's a whole another system of you have to maintain and allow independent groups to study and have everybody stack hands and say we agree these people are ethical in their operation. I, I feel like it comes down to ethics. I feel like. Being able to maintain an ethical society is paramount to having a successful one for the long term. You you yeah. might get a very successful society in the short term if they don't care about ethics. But to have oh, something it's just like a sales business, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like any business. Are you are you unethically pumping sales, mm-hmm. or are you ethically making sales and growing your brand? Because mm-hmm. if you're ethically selling people stuff. With honest intent, are you going to make less numbers this month? Yes. Are people going to trust you? Yes. In 10 years, is your business going to be bigger because everybody trusts your business? You have a better brand? Yeah. But if you just sell everybody everything any way possible today, Mm -hmm. they're going to have a bad experience and they're not going to come back. Right? It's the same idea, right? Like, yeah. does Does that make sense? I absolutely, I follow what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's a tricky situation. And it really is. I mean, I know there's no perfect situation. I just, I, I just, I guess like my argument would be like, say like somebody's coming through college right now and they're doing, you know, biomedical chemical research, right? And they are very passionate. They're very passionate and they're very smart and they are researching and testing and they think they can come up with a medicine that's going to help a lot of fucking people and they want to start their own pharmaceutical company or something and they have all the best intentions and just starting a pharmaceutical company without, without the luck of getting some really high-end investor to dump millions and millions of dollars into them. They literally have no shot. And like when you, when you cut off competition like that for the up and comer, 
the only avenue for the up and comer is to join one of the already established titans. Mm-hmm. Well, and that the- person's that person's intentions get watered down by the established company. You know what I mean? And that's where I think, like, because the competition gets cut off, you actually lose. Sometimes the public loses because the the people that, to me, passion drives innovation. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you kill the passion of the of the small person, you're eliminating a lot of the pool of brilliant people. And and that's one thing where I maybe continue from what you're saying and and say that that's where you see visionary companies come along that are able to facilitate that person's ingenuity you have to have a company that recognizes there are people who can and will have better ideas than what you have right now and you have to be the person who enables them and if you have a company that can do that successfully, I feel like there's a sustained success in that company. Like there's Hell there's yeah. a, a plan for success there, which is something that I feel, again, to, to harken back to larger companies, um, that's something that I feel extremely uh, happy that m- my uh, employer, they offer the ability to get additional degrees. And as long as you maintain a certain success rate, they will yep. cover the cost of that degree. That's awesome. And so those sorts of That's things- That's only benefiting cool. them, right? Like it's right. a smart transaction. Like there's, and you're not, I, th- I have to double check the fine print. I think it's something to the effect of if they- uh, cover your expense to complete degree, then they want you to maintain an uh, employed contract for, I think it's two years. So two years for a free degree is, I mean, it, it's something, it's only self-improving. It's only benefit to them to do that. And it invests the person in doing better. And Oh my God. It's those- like when you treat your employees like you care about them and you want to help them. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what you can get out of people. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, and, and again, that's where finding a way to make a society that's ethically responsible and self-supporting like a community at a high level, I feel like is really important to a long-term self-sustaining culture, which, yeah, I mean, that's where it always makes me sad when you see, huge sociological issues in that that plague people where it's just divisions and it feels like it shouldn't have to be there yeah it's it's really 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 frustrating because like when i hear like fights about racism or or sexism or all these other things in my head it's just like it drives me insane because I don't fucking care mm-hmm. what anybody else wants to like. If you're happy, I want you to do well. Like I want you to do whatever you see fit. Like I wouldn't want someone to tell me what to do to make me happy. Yeah. 
Like if so you're like, hap- I feel like happy, that's what the general happy. population feels, but like, why is everybody trying to make everybody else do other shit? Yeah. If your happiness doesn't cost someone else their happiness, then it seems like right. a happy society. It's a good thing. It seems pretty easy, right? <laughs> it's in the constitution for God's sakes. Like that's the base document of our country. Yeah. <laughs> the pursuit of happiness. Right. And yeah. in that amendment, it says, like you have the rights to freedom and pursuit of happiness and all that. And you, and the only thing that it cannot do is infringe on anybody else's right to that pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. And that seems pretty fucking simple to leave everybody alone. <laughs> like, it is unfortunate that it feels like there are so many people who are not doing well at that. <laughs> I know it drives me nuts, dude. <laughs> it's like, you know, are you are you hitting me or threatening my life or threatening my family's life or or anything like that? No. Are you putting any sort of thing in the way of me doing my stuff? No. We good. We're cool. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> We're cool. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you you think something different than I do, but you don't care that I think that way? Great. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, my I, I have a neighbor across the street. She's an older lady, single, lives by herself. She fucking hated Donald Trump, yeah. right? And I didn't like him either when he was on his way out. Like I was like, "Fuck this guy, whatever." And she hated him. <laughs> and then she would write stuff on her car window in paint marker, <laughs> hate like anti-Trump everything all over her car, right? And mm-hmm. and I didn't think much of it. And I thought it was nuts, but like, you know, I didn't really like Donald Trump either. The guy seems like a dighead. And I thought like, oh, this guy's kind of a whack job to be a president for sure. And yeah, I didn't know enough. I, I don't know much about it. You know, I'm starting to learn now more because I have more free time and I listen to more podcasts and I listen to more stuff. Like I just started to learn more. And when Biden got... You know, was pretty sure Biden was going to win. I talked to her one day. I was like, hey, things are going to be looking up, right? And she's like, yeah, well, you know, okay. And then, you know, over time, I've just been paying attention as it goes. And it's like, well, it turns out not really. Like, and, and that's not me picking a side. It's just like, I don't think Donald Trump is the answer either. But when I listen to like all the facts of all the policies and stuff like that, I go, well, the problem with Donald Trump was he divided the country heavily based on his personality and stuff like that and his yeah. ethics and, and the way he way he put himself forward and stuff like that. And I understand like people don't agree with, you know, him necessarily. But if you like break down the policy of Donald Trump, he did a lot of things that helped us, even though fo- his forward position was that of a fucking complete dickhead. And I don't agree with his ethics necessarily as a person, Mm. but he had some pretty good policy ideas that went pretty well. And I'm learning this after the fact. Mm. And then I was like, oh, Biden's going to come in. That's probably going to be better, even though I didn't vote for him because I didn't want him or Hillary. I wanted somebody else completely. And because of our electoral process, my fucking person didn't even have a shot at the presidency. So I didn't vote. Own complicated mess of yeah, it's all complicated as fuck. <laughs> but this lady was just writing shit on her car, 
going nuts, right? And as soon as I found out that we disagreed on almost everything, as soon as I realized all the shit she was writing on her car about Donald, like I didn't like the guy, but like she was hateful, mm-hmm. like hateful about him. And to the point that some of the stuff she wrote on her car window was hateful to the people that supported him, mm-hmm. which is absurd in my head. Like, it creates you've, a whole nother level of problem. I agree. You've like lost me. Like you, you're hating a huge portion of this country that are almost exactly like you. Yeah, you and I, I just that just that just made me like, all right, we're. I was like, we definitely don't agree at this point. But yeah. I used to walk my dog with her. She's fucking normal. Like she's a nice lady. Like I don't get like we are the same. Yeah. Like, I have her phone number on my fridge. Like, we walk dogs that she invited me. She's like, come walk the dogs. Come walk the dogs. Like, mm-hmm. and I've walked the dogs. And she, as long as who's the president doesn't come up, we're the fucking same. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't, it just blows my mind how crazy. Yeah. The, again, people are people. You, you, Break down enough things and you'll find differences, but otherwise everybody wants to take care of the people they care about and be taken mm-hmm. care of. And absolutely. I, I feel like if we can all keep perspective to that, I think that goes a long ways in informing our decisions and actions. But yes. I also know that it's very idealistic of me to say something like that, where I just say that well, if everybody's nice and everybody's nice, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. only dismissive of why there are issues. But like, I, I feel like so often it's easy for people to get polarized once you see the difference and to feel that. And when people feel and react to things, you get invested in an idea more than maybe you would abstractly. And I think that's what has driven a lot of issues. I don't know, like a lot of issues, maybe that wouldn't be issues become issues. And yep. As soon as like, as soon it's like, yeah, it's like you said, like, and and it all comes along with the internet. Like now we all have this information fed to us before we, you know, these issues still existed before. Right. All this stuff was still here before, but now that it's being fed to us. Now somebody's on the TV telling us this, this, and this, and this, and this issue. Well, they've always been there. I mean, the, the difference is, I, I feel like the internet has been the great liberator of information as long as you're able to maintain a free and open internet, which is not always the case. I know that there are a lot of countries that have highly well, free and open internet. speech. How about that? Yeah. That's the tricky one. And, I, I feel like if the internet works as it's supposed to and you have the free flow of information, everyone wins because people are more yes. able to be informed and able to self-inform. And the, yes, can, absolutely. Like, like Al Jazeera or BBC or uh, CNBC. Julian Assange, you can, Edward you, Snowden. Yeah, you, you can use any informational source you want and cross-reference. You can you don't have to read one outlet because it's what's on at 6 o'clock. 
if the people you, are supposed to be in charge and the government is supposed to work for us, then that means regardless of your IQ level or whatever, the collective group of us should be smart enough to take all the information, whatever it is, and make the right choice. And not doesn't mean like every individual is going to make the right choice. But since we have such a large number of us, that's what the democracy is supposed to do is well, allow yes and the no. most of us. I, 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 I will say there's things where I am not well-knowledged enough to make certain decisions about. And there's a reason why. No, but you're smart enough to allow you yourself to, to select the person that seems right for the gig. But that's based on the information that I know about the person that's provided to me. I mean, there it's an, it's if you an have, endless, if you it's have free access to all information though, <laughs> if you have free access to all information, you will make a better decision based on your logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Whereas I, if something is held from you or, or if stuff's filtered away, that's not, that's not an honest picture. Right. Mm-hmm. That's like, yeah, I, I, I it, it feels like, I don't know. Is it, Every time, every time I dive into it, society is so complicated because it's super complicated. Like, it's insanely complicated. Like there's the, so many avenues and variables. Yeah, and and then and then you have and then it comes it's to the ethics person. again. You're talking right? about people, you, right? The, it comes to the ethics again of if a person is who they claim to be, you can trust them to do what they say they do. Right. But if they don't, so never trust the politician. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> I would be happy with all scientists being in political positions. I'll say that. How's that? <laughs> I will take intrinsic data over uh, over yes. political speech. How's that? <laughs> oh my god! Thank you. Uh, at least we agree, we definitely agree on that. Dude. <laughs> Holy smokes! But it's crazy right now. Is even science is politicized? Well, it's. In effect, there there are some things that people are are mis are given misrepresentations of science, and right. people say something's a fact or say something scientifically based when the people saying that don't actually know that or don't understand right. what that means. Yes, and then there's also persons who are manipulating that either through ethics or otherwise. So. And, and again, I, th- I feel like Neil deGrasse Tyson is a very good articulator of modern science is, and how it yeah, is or is not represented. To. Yeah, he, I, I thoroughly enjoy anything he can present. And he's just I, a I, really I, good communicator. Like, yeah. And not, 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 I'm not saying like, oh, I believe everything he says, especially when it comes to like his opinions or necessarily, mm-hmm. but I like how he presents his knowledge mm-hmm. and I find him interesting and I like listening to him. Like he's very good. Yes. And, um, but there's also people, you know, there's other people that disagree with him that I like too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and I know that uh, both you and I enjoy Joe Rogan's uh, work and, and body of guests. 
And oh yeah. I He's got everybody, dude. <laughs> yeah. And I recently was listening to some of his stuff. Um so his back catalog. Uh what was it was uh Graham Hancock and oh, yeah. Robert uh Schlock. Mm-hmm. And that was mm-hmm. fascinating. The archaeological Those pyramids are fuck they're fucking old, dude. The 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 archaeological are way older, bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the uh the archaeological history or lack thereof and again looking at it from the scientific standpoint of saying cultures there are very few things that will survive the test of time. And so just natural weathering and world events that way will wipe away cultural history so quickly that mm-hmm. i mean the the again that's something in archaeology the questions always come up of like well where did these cultures go like there should have there should or could have been all these people and societies and it makes a lot more sense why i mean if just something can't stand the weathering of time for tens of thousands of years then nature always wins yeah, I mean, there's there's no reason to think that you can't observe these sorts of things, but I don't know. They were very interesting how modern archaeology is becoming a lot more open to the avenue that we did the best we could. Which, again, this is, is a very scientific perspective of you do the best with the tools you have. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. a lot of histories were uh, recorded on tools that were not as advanced as what we have today. But it's yeah. good that people are now finally getting to be more accepting of some of these. It's always unfortunate that some of these persons have been rolled over by groups not ready to hear new information. But it's exciting to see new links in history coming up. Like it's, That's something that yeah. I really find fascinating. It's interesting. It's new history. It's it's something that, and my wife. If you're is, not open, uh, if you're not looking for new information, mm-hmm. then you're not looking to get smarter. Yeah, and and that's something my wife is uh, getting her master's in history, and so her involvement with historical programs and everything that way is always interesting. Like she she'll come to me with stories about things that she's reading and researching, and it's fascinating on a small scale let alone some of these archaeological long-term civilization scales where you just go the world is absolutely wild in what we mm-hmm. think we know and things that we have to just assume and piece together and and we kudos, know nothing yeah and kudos <laughs> to the archaeologists who are able to figure out the things they can i mean looking at but when you when you get to like the little pieces that they tell you that they figured out mm-hmm. you start as soon as you get to wrap your head around what they tell you and like come to terms with it if if you have like a you know brain that's curious at all you kind of listen to that and you understand what they're saying and you go yeah yeah okay that makes sense that makes sense that's interesting that's interesting oh we know fucking nothing <laughs> like like as far as beyond that like we know nothing yeah. And that's that's fun to me. I don't know. I like it. <laughs> it's, it's exciting and terrifying. The fact that the more we learn, the less we know. And 
Yeah, every the, time you unfold something, it just like creates another branch. It yeah. branches out and it a bunch of different possibilities. Mm-hmm. Kind of like it it's funny because it works the same way if you go into history mm-hmm. and it works the same way when you go out into space. Yeah. And it works the same way when you go into the deepest parts of the ocean. It's like and and what's crazy every place about, we start to peer into there's 1700 roads you could take. Yeah. And, <laughs> and what's always strikes me as such a crazy thing about space exploration is due to the expansion of the universe being increasing, your observable light it has a finite window. So we actually right. never can observe the entire universe. We can only observe every day we lose observable universe. Yeah. Because every atom of light or every part of not atom, every particle of light that is coming towards us that we see and can observe it's the yeah. last time we see that particle. And eventually the the expansion of space gets to such a point that we will not see those particles anymore. And not to I mention mean, everything we see is not even in our timeline. Yeah. Yeah. You see the star <laughs> that's thirty five million light years away. That's thirty five million years ago that we saw this event. I mean that times that. Hey, that star we're looking at. Yeah, it's not even there. Yeah, technically not even there. Yeah, Yeah. those those kind of time scopes. The first time I sort of thought about that, that was sort of a oh boy, all right, this is a different kind of a world. It's wild, right? Which whole new level of appreciation for astronomers and how they're able to interpret and observe things like redshift in stars and microgravitational movements to see what planetoids are there and how they're impacting. I mean, they're using such incredible observations on a huge scale to monitor those things. It's how about this wild. I'm going to cut it back. So like that, I, I don't think as deeply as you do about that, like that distance, I guess. Mm-hmm. But what I think of immediately is think of the ingenuity and skill that we have figured out in order to craft lenses Mm -hmm. and the combination of lenses in order to be able to fucking even look at that. Yeah. It, that, the scope of of the what precision the it would take to now what they have it's a very wild climb and also incredibly impressive of the first person who looked up and said i think i can do better mm-hmm. right? to, to that's the human that. nature that's yeah. all we do that's literally all we do the, is here is what's been done mm-hmm. every single person's trying to to go, I could do it a little bit better than that. Mm-hmm. Like every single person, even if you come back to something as somewhat basic as like sports, mm-hmm. like Tony Hawk did the first 900 when I was a young kid. Right mm-hmm. now there is children doing 900s yeah. on a skateboard that yeah. it's, it's no longer even, it's not even close to the top of the bar like yeah and 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 that kind of 
uh, sustained improvement that you see and saying people can see and improve upon. And then you have the, 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 it just goes to show you like, where it, somebody it, it really kind of goes over. to show you, it kind of goes to show you, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just, no, no, that's fine. It kind of goes to show you that it almost feels like we are limitless. The only thing holding us back is how high we are actually thinking we can get. I, th- I think that that's a good thing to keep perspective to of, again, a lot of times people operate within the confines that. What they see, know. what they know. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's good to have people who, one, are able to incrementally improve and also people who are visionaries in that they exponentially improve like people people who are visionaries and are able to make leaps and bounds are absolutely critical to large-scale societal improvements and and that's something that those are the the beautiful anomalies in (laughs) in history where you see somebody who really achieves something that's unique and perfect and everyone else you just hope incrementally improves a little bit until that next yep. jump occurs. And then like, it's almost I, like we're all supporting, like, it's like humans exist to like improve. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, but like, we're all a part of it. Like we're all a part of supporting the entire human structure, the human race, just so that, ju- of course, but like, it just feels like, it. it feels like, when you think about it this way, you can like take the the smallest person on the scale and 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 show them importance by saying, "Listen, we're all here to prop up our best, mm-hmm. so that our best can move the bar up to the next rung." And without this yeah. support structure, they will not like. Mm-hmm. If, if things aren't going well for everyone. This person cannot get to the, like, yeah. it's almost like the pile, like when the ants all climb together and like stack on top of each other so that that one ant can get to like the thing mm-hmm. or something like that. It's like, if we're not all here making this mound, mm-hmm. then the dude who's the one who could jump the highest yeah, isn't going to get close enough to the next target. Like, and, and, and to that. I would also say you have to you have to have the safe and sustained society for the persons who can achieve to exist. Like that's where for sure in the the just tragically sad history of humanity with the kinds of wars and tolls yeah. of life that have occurred and there have been persons who trial and error, right? High achieving who have certainly been lost to time due to mm-hmm. circumstance. And, of and course. again, by pure, that comes down to like, what's the random, most important thing? Survival. <laughs> yeah. And, and by pure random chance, certain persons are able to exist in certain places in time. Yep. And it, it is such an, again getting it's a lottery you can't even fathom yeah i mean the like just looking back at the the scope of my own life for certain things to have occurred like the sequence of events and thinking about what had to have happened to make that occur 
feels exponentially more wild when you look at somebody who really overachieves something and sets something unique in motion and you go for that circumstance to have occurred all these other things had to happen which is crazy you could probably never in uh, no, no mathematician could probably ever calculate the last 5 years of your life yeah i mean it's never it's it's a i don't know that, that's something that's always fascinated me with with uh the recent marvel multiverse stuff and coming to be more mainstream like just thinking about that on any kind of a scope i mean i don't know did you watch the loki series uh from marvel i i had i did actually turn it on one day i didn't i didn't i wasn't glued to it i mm. was watching uh it was like background because mm. like my youngest son is kind of into the superheroes and stuff mm -hmm. and he always asks for the same fucking show all the time mm -hmm. and i yep. was just like and I was, and he likes the cartoons and stuff, but he also likes the Hulk and, mm -hmm. you know, the superheroes. So like sometimes when he's like, I want to watch this and I'm like, well, how about this? And I try to like, just, I try to put on like a, a real show so that I don't feel yeah. like retarded. <laughs> <laughs> so like he wants to watch Spidey and Friends, which is like a hideous cartoon. <laughs> like it's just super basic and boring but he's also interested in the other stuff so i'm like well how about we watch this instead and mm -hmm. i may have made a mistake with my kids but i let them watch shit that they shouldn't watch but <laughs> I, I feel like that's the, the hallmark of a, of an interesting childhood you you've you get the the kid at some point where you say, "Man, I remember this show." Oh man, I wish I could have watched that. That would have been yeah. awesome. <laughs> uh, I, we're failing on that level, <laughs> very high. We, we, I am not a censorship person, and it's not like I don't think about it, but it's like it's hard to like, like somebody likes something, mm -hmm. and like when their kids like something, it's hard to like not let them pursue it i want them to pursue everything they're interested in because i feel like that's just going to allow their brain to go you know if they're interested in it they're gonna take the most out of it mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so like i don't know yeah I, but like so like my youngest is three and he's watched venom which <laughs> 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 is a fucking creature that eats people <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. but you know, and he's not glued to it because it's a full length feature film mm -hmm. with dialogue and stuff like that. So like he's not glued to it like he is like a twenty minute cartoon of like, let's go save the park. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or like but he likes it. He watches it and he watched quite a bit of Venom and I did put on Loki and he watched part of it, but Loki is a little bit it's it's deeper. Yeah, it's definitely more of a, a slow burn. With yeah, I, I like what they've done with the miniseries that they're doing that way, and specifically what I was driving towards with Loki is that it deals heavily. The with multiverse is the heavy in that one, huh? Yeah, because I remember I remember the beginning. He gets arrested, mm -hmm. and then by the time by the time people uh, yeah, the, the and then that dude was like. Who's the detective guy? He's a he's a famous guy. Who's yeah, he? he's um oh uh, his name totally fails me. But he was in what's it? He was what's in another Star show he's in. He, he, he was oh, it's in Owen Star Wilson. Owen Wilson, yes, that's right. Yeah, 
And then and he, <laughs> which is such a weird role. He does a great job. I, I gotta oh, he's him. always been good, I think. But he's always been kind of like the surfer bro. Like, yeah. what yeah. do you mean? <laughs> yeah. No, oh, I, I, I didn't expect him for that role, but I feel like he it absolutely fit. nailed it. And It did. And But yeah, I, I remember the beginning. I, I think it was something I put on and I happened to catch the beginning and then I started to do some stuff. Like I said, I did chores and stuff around the house, but mm-hmm. I remember he was, he got arrested and there was a bunch of like philosophical back and forth between the detective and him and mm-hmm. they were showing him some stuff. And and then at some point when I tuned back in, he had met up with three other versions of himself. Yeah. One was an alligator. <laughs> yeah. It, it gets wild in a real, real funny way. It was, pretty, it was kind of funny, actually. Yeah. The fact that I missed all of the buildup and that I come back and, I, <laughs> and then I see like this three people and they're all wearing the horn thing. Mm-hmm. And a part of me was like, at first, I didn't even know that it was him. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just like... uh like maybe that was like the garb of like a group. Mm-hmm. And then I heard somebody when they met up with somebody else go. And then however it came out, it came out like, yeah, this is me. Three other versions of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's, it's a, they, I feel like they handled it really well for what is a kind of over the top concept of infinite realities and uh, branching decisions and then the scope of the show is how what if you decided to make one reality different like if you didn't have all these realities like how would you control that and it's such a i mean it's a thing that i'd never even like it's literally (laughs) impossible (laughs) well and, and i mean it brings up the question of like would would infinite realities truly be infinite or would it be based upon divergent points and what are those divergent points like are divergent points specific to large failures or large successes and what would demonstrate large like what's impactful at a multiversal scale like does everything matter or does nothing matter? I mean, it's sort of a, if, if, are if we you in a simulation, a, Carl, are well, we I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like does does the, the question of a multiverse exist? And, and that's something probably with like string theory and persons more versed in all oh, that. Oh Christ. I've Could, heard people talk about that and I still go, huh? I, yeah, Wait, there's a thing called a spinner. What yeah. the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, quantum scale physics is real bonkers and yes quite terrifying actually of how things every single yeah every single theoretical physicist i've listened to talk when they are allowed to talk through the the idea because there's a few different theories right there's Mm -hmm. a few different like sects of theoretical physics Mm -hmm. and every time i listen to them talk they all criticize the other the other groups and well, then i go i go uh, I, i'm like i think all of you kind of have the same level of yeah possibly like <laughs> and, and my 
I guess, very... I think they all go to a point where it's like, I don't know if this is even fucking... Like, it's almost like, I understand that you're really trying to, like, discover things. Like, I understand the logic behind it. And and then they get into, like, if you use this formula, it says this. And I'm like, okay, great. But, like, that doesn't fucking mean anything. Necessarily, well, I mean the the scope of that would be they're they're trying to fit mathematical models based on what you can see and observe, right? And the scale of it is that once we get to a certain point, the observable universe gets very difficult to to monitor at a minimum or maximum scale, and so. Once you get to a, a cosmic scale, it's difficult to measure and monitor. And once you get to a quantum scale, it's very difficult to monitor and measure. Now, oh, it's infinite. Well, and and I mean that's where again my understanding tapers off rather quickly in the total topic. But the I shouldn't say it's infinite. I should say the, it's like, so far beyond our scope that it it really doesn't do us any service. To think that it is finite. Uh, that might be fair. That might be a fair statement. You know what I'm saying? I, like, I, we're nowhere near the end of it. it it's for us to even fathom the end of it. Yeah, it's 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 a certain value that we don't understand what the bounds are. We understand yeah. loosely that there are limits, but we don't understand what that means to us. And again, like you'd mentioned, simulation theory, whether... A, a projection of a reality into another plane and how like 2d versus 3d versus 4d interactive uh, universal scales and what well, it's 5d at this point is it well because uh, three dimension is is length well it's just space but then if you add time it's 4d but you we exist in in third dimension because to to we're locked in a third dimension because the fourth dimension is what we transit through but we don't navigate through it so if you navigate well, through we, can, we can we can live in 3d but we perceive 4d um because no, we can think about no, we, the we observe the change but we don't like we can observe the change from that fourth dimension as a, as we transit through it, but we don't observe two points in that at the same time. So we True. don't. But so we, we can, can observe the presence of an impactor by a fourth dimension because correct. we can observe the transit of time occurring and how that impacts things. But, but, but we, we can aren't also able to transit across that, that, that uh, dim- but, temporal yeah. uh, sphere. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But we can also... We can also predict the fourth dimension somewhat. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, you, you know say, what I'm saying. We, like we, we have an our consciousness has an idea of it. Yes. Like we understand how it works. We just don't know for sure. We can't measure it. We can't see it specifically. Right. But we, like we. Yeah. We we understand the delta, but we don't understand the the we can't graph it. Re- reactive interaction of it like we yeah. so yeah I, we can't I, graph it beyond beyond point zero because we are at point zero and wherever the graph goes on the fourth dimension is 
we have no way of calculating. Yeah. And and that's where I'd say like the biggest impactor would be the ability to navigate the dimension in reference. Like if you were able to transit time, what would you observe as a fifth dimension at that point? Because in a in a two two dimensional existence, you would observe a third dimensional change, and a third dimension you observe a fourth dimension change. Fourth so dimensional what, change. That, so, which, so what's the plane? Or what's the fifth dimensional plane? Yeah, right. And, and that's something like: is that something we could even perceive, or is it even of? a plane? Well, <laughs> you know and, what I mean. <laughs> and, and saying it's a plane of existence is is an overgeneralization, like because no, but you know what I'm saying. Like when you put together. A graph in our way of understanding, it's like there's yeah. a dimension here, there's a dimension here, there's a dimension here. Yeah. And then the fourth one is time where all this moves through it. Right. Yeah. And, and then so, it bends with gravity. And then. Yeah. Is, if we is, were is to able to. Even a dimension we can understand. If we were to, to jump it. from here to here to wormhole and start to understand that, mm-hmm. what does the fifth dimension look like? We could say, oh, it's a plane. Because that's how everything else is graphed. But realistically, yeah. what if it's fucking so far beyond our comprehension that yeah. we have no idea what the hell we're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's something that, and and that's where again you say you get outside the scope of measurable, observable science. Yeah. That it becomes very difficult to predict and understand anything. Uh, everything's terrifying. How's that? <laughs> yeah, it's for sure terrifying. The more you know, the I less try you know, not to think and, about it. Crazy. Uh, it it is something that is is distressing on a level that I will say those both- are my Joe Rogan episodes that I I do enjoy some of them, but I do sometimes skip over them if mm-hmm. I'm not in the right mood. I'm like, That's, nah. Yeah. Not nope. today. <laughs> it's nope. not what I'm looking for. <laughs> it, it is definitely something that you have to say, okay, I I have to give this my attention or else I'm just going to be more confused than what I was yeah. casually listening in on. So, mm-hmm. But again, the fact that there are people out there contemplating and trying to figure that out, incredible. And Absolutely. So why we all serve a purpose mm-hmm. fully. And... Every day, people are figuring something out or helping someone else to figure something out. And I am just excited to see where people end up with it. Hopefully better. (laughs) Just think about 20 years ago, dude, and where we are now. Yeah. Nuts. Absolutely. Nuts. And I don't know where we're going to be in 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, and... And from a small scale, like even like for myself, I I have no personal concept of like what I would be in that period of time. I feel like there, there are things that are unexpected where people change and develop in ways that you can't even see at that period in time. Like it'll be interesting to see what what that means on on a small scale even especially in the information age because mm-hmm. what how do you how do you change you change with information yeah and with the amount of information coming at us now like 
that what, has to change us. It has to. Yeah. What's the next revelation that we that we come across? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe some of us just cut our losses and start moving out to the farms and shit. Like, <laughs> it's part of me is like, wouldn't it be nice yeah. to just just wind it back a little? <laughs> yeah. Just like uh, imagine having less stuff and just mm-hmm. being happy i don't know <laughs> what just be happy oh man now that now that's a real conundrum <laughs> you ever taken like a break or a vacation like i don't know like some of my friends have like a family camp up at the pond or whatever and like mm-hmm. they have like propane powered stoves and fridges and, and takes like an hour to get up there on a dirt road and we just mm-hmm. go up and it's like a log cabin with a wood stove and you go up there and there's no work and there's no cell service and you just like, yeah, we brought a cooler, some food in it mm-hmm. and just electricity and we just kind of like wake up and like, you know, try to cure the hangover with greasy bacon on a fire. <laughs> <laughs> and then when that doesn't work, we just start drinking again and sit in the go. sun. <laughs> Look I, at the water. I can appreciate a... A disconnect and reset uh, for sure that's uh, it's always I, I think that's always a good thing for a person to do at whatever scale you can because yeah i don't know like i nature I very, nature always does it though doesn't it yeah i mean i feel like being out in nature helps facilitate that a lot just yeah I, I think that resets a person mentally which i don't know if that's something that a person should be more I, I say a person we as a people should be more concerned or cognizant of that getting back to nature is something that is i say uh cliche-ically a thing to do and yet so rarely do people do that it's almost uh, intrinsic it almost feels biological when you do it doesn't it yeah i, I feel like uh, the the thing that always blows me away is we get out far enough so you get away from lights and just to absorb the night sky. That's something. Oh my God, dude. That's always something that's just such a, a euphoric moment to look up and just to take everything in and just go, wow. Like that's. Yeah, dude. I've done it hammered and gone and, and I've been hammered and fully understood it. Hmm? Like my buddy has a, so like I was saying, we have camp, like my buddy has camps one of my buddies has a camp on a lake and you can only get there by boat. And that's, you know, kind of on purpose. Like <laughs> they have a dock and it's only get there by boat. And we went there for his bachelor party and like, you know, we were fucking wild. They're the wild boys. But, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the night, a bunch of people ran out of steam and we're done. And, you know, there's only a couple of us left and, just take one of the lawn chairs, walk out of the dock and put it down and just look up. Mm-hmm. And after drinking all day, it still blows you apart. Yeah. Like, just like you think the sky is black or dark blue or whatever. And then you look up in that sort of a scenario and you go, oh, no, it's quite bright, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you, anytime you see any like 
satellite images where you zoom in and you zoom in and you zoom in and you zoom in and and there is still the same density of stars. It looks the same. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As far as the telescopes can zoom, it's the same density. Yeah. It's it's just that like wave of overwhelming, like the scale of what things are is just unreal. And yeah. Christ. <laughs> like the, the in the inverse where they say anytime the astronauts who come back to Earth they, they see the inverse of the 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 ball of blue and green, that's it. And that's everyone. Like mm-hmm. it this the scope of we're in it together and we we should we should think about it that way. Like it's yeah. which is again we're we're a community on on one planet, and how do we get along? Like that's right. Well, first things first. Let's not launch nuclear missiles. That's a that's, good start. That's not going to help it. That's definitely not going to help it. <laughs> Let's start there. We could at least say if we don't do that, that's a good step in the right direction. Yeah. Now, I, it, it's a failing on my part here, but. My brother and I, years ago, he had come across an article where a, a strange thing was found, a highly radioactive uh, subterranean uh, spot in the Earth, and it was relatively unexplained as to what it was. I, I apologize that I don't have more information on that, but that was something that, again, we talk about ancient uh (laughs) archaeology but it was basically they go well why is this highly radioactive underground that doesn't make any sense um (laughs) (laughs) it's like all i can think of is joe dirt when he finds the uh (laughs) the missile (laughs) yeah (laughs) just just a septic tank (laughs) let's shoot fireballs at it (laughs) (laughs) oh man how long you want to go on this crazy? I I think probably I'm good to call it any time. I don't know if I have anything else off the top of my head here, but man, I this is fun. I might have to do it's another fully one. Fully up to you. I, I'm I'm fine with going longer or cutting it, whatever you want. Well, I didn't have anything else off the top of my head here, so I think maybe we can call her good and uh, maybe call this good for for one and see if there's another episode book sometime. <laughs> Crazy's episode A. Yes, yes. Get, <laughs> get the, the serialization started that way. I like it. So, I appreciate you having yeah. me on, man. It was good to hang out and just chat for a while. It's been a of course, minute. man. I appreciate you coming. I, I I just like talking to people and having yeah. conversations, man. It's the only way we're going to fucking learn about shit. And... Yep. Oh, it's good. Actually, to... I, it's selfishly, I think it just helps me learn about myself, too, you know? like I, That's fair. I I think that bouncing topics off of people is always good. Um, sometimes I know for me hearing myself try and talk through it, sometimes I find myself thinking about a thing maybe more objectively than if I'm just thinking about it in isolation too. So yeah, that's how I feel too. I agree. Sometimes hearing, hearing somebody else say something and then you go, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. 
And there are sometimes times. just hearing it a certain. Sometimes it just takes us hearing it a certain way, and then you go, and then it's not necessarily like it changes you, but it just like it's just like another spice in the mix. Mm-hmm. And it's like not like you have to change your mind one eighty. It's just like you know, I used to think it was this, and now I think it's you know not quite this mm-hmm. so a little bit like this <laughs> like yep. i don't know that's the only way for us to to learn is to share ideas and i agree and i just like talking to people because i'm a fucking old guy who's stuck in his house with three kids and only goes to work and comes home i i i think that that's a very relatable stance for more or less the exact same uh breakdown there <laughs> and I, I mean it's not that i don't know people and i could go talk to them in person most of the people I know, when if I go out and talk to them in person, all they're going to talk to me about is, uh, what was the score of the game, and did you hear about so and so, and how many beers do you have, or something? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yep. It's hard to find people that want to have like conversations. I guess. Yep. I think that's very true. I I think that it's easy to have passing conversations and. Sometimes from a self-investment, sometimes it's hard to say that you're ready to have a conversation about something. Like it's very different. I'm always ready. I feel like most of my friends would be like, like if I even start, like a couple of them would be okay. But like sometimes you just like, you start a conversation like that and they just like check out immediately. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, what the fuck, dude? That doesn't have anything to do with the score of the game, like, <laughs> and and that's absolutely the I think the way some people operate and feel like it's it's just not something that's either yep. of interest or comfort uh, for people to talk about certain things. But I some people's minds just don't even work like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. That's fine. Whatever. I don't give a shit. But I'm glad they're... I don't know. As I get older, I find myself like more interested in more complex things mm-hmm. if that makes sense absolutely i i feel like again with the information that we have now there's so much to learn about so many things in so many different ways that it i i feel bad knowing that i don't do more of a diligent job trying to learn about some stuff but it's always so gratifying when you're able to just run down that rabbit hole of information and you say, well, I wonder about this and this and this. And then you just keep chasing that thread of information. It's, it can be so fun. Like it's, I think it's you're cool an overachiever crazy. <laughs> I really do. Like whenever you do like the, the stats and all that stuff and you do the stuff for like the, the discord and the gaming and it's like, I'm just like, Oh my God. When did he do this and how? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, he was on Discord that whole time. I he was playing the game yesterday, <laughs> and then like the day after, this is like this whole collection of data, and I'm like, well, it, it's all uh, does this all guy sleep? Familiarity with well, I, I should sleep more. I I, I think. I, I think I'm getting my average up a little better, but, uh, you know, so I've written that yeah. three to four hours. So, <laughs> Holy Christ. <laughs> I will say I, I doesn't surprise me totally. Cause there's a, it changes, you know, it kind of fluctuates here and there, but like there's times where like, 
five, six hours and I go to work and I'm like, perfect. Mm -hmm. And if I, and, and if in that span I catch, cause sometimes you just like, you get a little bit tired and like it catches up with you. And then like, you just had like an early night. Like maybe you are like, I'm just going to chill tonight and watch TV. And then you end up falling asleep early. You go to bed a little early and you wake up and you slept like an extra hour and a half or something mm -hmm. compared to your normal. And then that day I feel like absolute fucking mud. Yeah. Sleep cycles are such a fascinating thing of you can get less sleep, but if you hit the right sleep cycle, you can get better yep. sleep. Like I, I hate falling asleep uh, early. Like, like it's happened before where, I'll be getting the, the kiddo settled in. And if I doze off uh, while I'm there, if I'm asleep for like 20 or 30 minutes, I feel terrible. Like I do. Really? Not, yeah. I like, I, I'm just in that deeply groggy fa uh, stage. Yeah. Where, like your body just drives you to that deep sleep fast. And do you ever fall asleep in a situation like that and go instantly into a dream? Um, If not, Okay, I'll say this. I think that yes, in that I remember it because I wake up. Because the difference is, I feel like a person is more or less always dreaming. And it's just what level of awareness you have when you wake up. Because oftentimes when I wake up at atypical times, like if I'm roused out of my sleep, I will be fully aware of my dream state. But yes, if agree, I, like, especially like the depths of the morning, like like right. the out the the hour or two right before you are gonna wake up mm -hmm. is typically where I realize I'm dreaming. It's also typically the time where it's hardest to not go right back to sleep. Like right. it's Which, it's hard. Yeah, and, and and that's where that that in and out of dream or awake state it will be. I'll be heavily aware of my dream state, which is also true if I'm um, fall asleep for a short period of time. I'll be very aware of what I was dreaming. So falling into that heavy dream state and coming out of it quickly, abnormally, if I don't scale out of it slow, um, a little bit more slowly in that sleep cycle, typical uh, uh, sine wave type of manner, then then I lose that awareness. So like if I'm, if I'm coming out of it on a natural swoop, then I'll will not usually remember dreaming. But if I am sort of abruptly pulled from that out of that sink, then I'll be much more conscious of what I was dreaming. So. That's weird for me. So like I 99.9% .9 of the time don't remember my dreams. Mm -hmm. I, I remember them. Um, when I wake up, like if I'm woken up at 4 a.m., mm -hmm. I, re I remember I was dreaming. I remember the dream. Mm -hmm. And if I was, say I was to stay awake from that point on for the rest of the day, an hour and a half later, no fucking idea what that dream was. Well, and, and I think that's something, I, I don't know what the specific reason would be, but I know that dreams are often something that- Shuffling of your, really of your storage, right? I, I'd say yes. I'd say that 
I I don't remember what like the most recent science is on it, but I think that it's been relatively accepted that it's sort of your brain taking the information and like you're saying, shuffling the data and processing like your interactions. Maybe it's been hypothesized. I know that dreams are your brain pushing the limits of what you process during the day and saying, well, what happens if this happens? And then building a oh, like parsing through engine. other realities kind of deal. Like right. here's and all the information we know. What well, if all this came together? Well, yeah. And so saying like basically building your reactions. So saying, here's what happened. Here's how you acted. But what if you did this? And what do you think w- would happen then? And sort of framing so your reactions so that in the future, if you are in a position where you have to react to that scenario, would you make the same reaction before you consciously choose to do something? You're just, so I, I, again, that I always enjoy seeing some new uh, research around it. I mean, the, 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 horrifying truth around consciousness is that the more we learn is the more we find out everything's aware we find out trees are neural uh, oh you've heard that shit? connected so you cut down trees in one side of a forest the other side of the forest electrically reacts and that's fucking insane bro and they've there's animals that do that too right and, well they've observed emotions in pigs so yeah. we know that pigs mice feel too. Emotions. I think mice so, on the other side of the country or something. They did something like that. That's wild. And there was some weird study like that. I mean, it's mushrooms too. They did a big one with mushrooms, I believe. Yeah, the mycelial network is something that is. I know that might have been more. I, I was saying trees that may have been more specific to the mycelial network and subterranean fung- fungi, how it, it has a reactionary and um, I don't know if a symbiotic relationship. Dude, Joe Rogan word, definitely but, talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> I a hundred percent agree that he has. Pretty sure he did. But, yeah. That, that's something where the sheer complexity of, of our world on a biological scale is unbelievable i mean gut bacteria like i mean people again that's a whole other thing people people and what we think we why we do what we do i mean we make decisions but there's a lot that just happens i mean there's a lot that happens because of things that have been influencing either gut bacteria gut bacteria and how you feel and I think everything affects everything kind of a deal. So like yeah. if you, you know, like there's a lot of variables that you can control, you know, not that it's like easy to like change one thing and, and all of a sudden change everything. But it's like if you start paying attention to things and do it diligently, you can change things. And then right. when you change things, things start to stack up and like you can steer the boat but it's like it's not like you're grabbing the wheel and just yanking it around it's like if you change something you change it a couple degrees Mm -hmm. and stuff like that like I don't I I don't know if I believe that we don't have any freedom of choice but I do believe that 
there's so many systems involved in it that, you know, all those systems make up your freedom and you can, if yours is relatively healthy, you kind of go on a good path, but yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of things that we try to control for, or say we're controlling one way, but maybe you're not as effectively yeah. interacting. Like say, okay, I, if I decide it might start have, at birth too, like what you start out with as a, as a platform, maybe not in the best situation. And then maybe all the shit you do, you're, you're, you're too far away from where you want to be. And you, no matter what you do, well, you can't change it enough. Like, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, you, from, from one of the things that I'd also come across is that your, the DNA that you structure and pass on to your children, like the, what you bio, genetically code for what you'll pass on is basically established by the time you are in your preteen years. So like around nine, 10 years old, your body's yeah. developing that based on your early childhood experiences. So yeah, you, you're a sponge at that point. Right, like you your environment things. that you grew up in is already deciding what your offspring will be like by the time you're. I mean, it makes sense because that's yeah biologically. In a short period after that, you're going to be enter, entering into your pubertary uh, lifeline, so you will be needing. You're to starting to solidify as a human. To, right, you're no longer you a growing to, human. Right. You're more and, of a human human. Yeah, you need to be ready to develop the next generation and so but it's fast it struck me as such a thing where you say you're impacting and changing the genetic structure you're going to pass on up till that age and then your body specifically like one like zero to five i think they say is very important Mm -hmm. which i mean it just goes to what what struck me is the, the the importance of childhood development and like how you know you say the difference between childhood obesities or highly active children, like genetically you would pass on a demand for a different body type based on those early years. So if you have a highly energetic and active childhood, you're essentially telling your genetic code that you need to pass that on. Right. Which is crazy in the scope of we put our children in schools and sit for hours upon hours all day. And yes, we're having them learn, but is that we also the feed best? them corn syrup? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing that sort of scares the hell out of me. Talking about calorically time. dense <laughs> sugar syrup. Yeah, and, and and again, if I just want, if I want to scare the hell out of myself, I just go learn something. <laughs> that's why I've been trying to like my wife's a little different and I don't know if this is what hardwired or what but like my wife is like a nutritionist like fitness she knows all the stuff about like how to change your weight and how to eat and all that and she's done it like a forever mm-hmm. but yeah like sometimes the kids are like can I have the snack can I have this and she's like yeah sure and I'm like what are you doing mm-hmm. she's like it's just a snack. I'm like, I'm like, I understand. It's not a big deal once in a while to have a snack or whatever. But at the same time, 
You know what else isn't a big deal? Waiting till dinner. Mm-hmm. Or like when they ask for dinner, like, can I have another full plate? No, but I'll give you a tiny bit of seconds. Like, can I have another slice of pizza? I'll give you a half a slice of pizza and some broccoli. Mm-hmm. If you want more. Like that, you can that do that as a young age. Like kids are resilient. Like people think that they need to just like give the kids as much as they want. And it's like, no, if you were to call or nutritionally like judge what they're getting, I guarantee you none of our children are malnourished. If you're in a reasonable household, well, we can afford groceries. It's such a weird place because evolutionarily person everything's geared to survive and you live you've lived for 10 tens of thousands of years as a as a animal in the jungle eating and whatever you could and drinking whatever you could and then suddenly you have abundance and so for the not only that like even hunter gatherers they would eat a fuckload and then not eat at all for a long time which is something that Again, in modern society, we have an abundantly meat-heavy diet that the the availability of meat now is so huge comparatively. Yeah. In, and again, it's a little bit more of a uniquely U.S. available or uh, problematic deal. but Western but, culture, yeah. Yeah, I would say that meat has become a much more staple part of the meal versus... Yep. It being something that you have every few meals or something like that. And and so well, that's where the intermittent fasting thing comes in, right? That's why people are starting to go to that. It's like back in the yeah. day, like food was available in spurts. And yeah. like in between meals, you would pick on things right here and there. But like you would have these big meals and then you would not. Yeah. Yeah. People are humans are very survivable and through a lot of habits, we've made it more complicated, but I also recognize We're also learning too. Like we're also living a lot fucking longer. So it's like, is yeah. it kind of working? <laughs> our, our, our stressors are different, um, which again, oh man, uh, like that's a whole nother can of worms of survival yeah, stress. we can go deep. Stress <laughs> yeah. of, is is the stress of work the same as being chased by a wild animal? And if you have that, I would say day, no. <laughs> I would say look, look at me. not the I'm, same. I'm, I've got my white beard already, so it's, it's my. I dad's. just shaved. Yeah, <laughs> I had this. I had the neck fuzz going, dude. I had to shave it off. Yeah, I uh, last time I was back home, my dad was like, "What's this shit?" He was, it was, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Dad. I don't know. Don't you have a razor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, because my. He was saying that because my beard uh, would go in white. And, oh. Uh, so uh, he was giving me a hard time about that. Yeah, yeah, I know. So, He's like, is life getting the best of you? Uh-huh. Yep. He had, to, <laughs> he had to give me a good ribbon on that one. Said, oh, it's been, been a rough run of it. So. so. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I I thought it was pretty good. But. Well, let's, why don't we, why don't we cut it off, man? And uh, I'd love to. I'd love to do it again. Yeah, definitely. I think we have to get another another uh, round of topics and talk through it. But, man, that was awesome just to 
chill and vibe here. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Like I don't, I don't have any specific sort of format or anything like that. So like, yeah, I'll have repeat guests or whatever. I don't care, man. I'm just yeah. talking to people. Just grab some fun stuff to talk about, and uh, I like doing that. So I don't know. I'm. I think there's such a wealth of things to talk about out there. It's always oh, man, it's always cool go as somebody to bounce with, uh, stuff with. It's, you know, we could, we could, I mean, anybody who can have a good conversation is just like, it's fun. It's like, mm-hmm. we can go as deep as politics or social stuff or like something as simple as like a game. Like, it's like people that are interested in things, it's like so easy to talk about yeah. stuff with people yeah. that want to uh, talk about stuff. I really appreciate the, the, the mindset you have about wanting to learn about things. I feel like, it's you have a very good ability to articulate and and dive into things in an interesting way that it, it really does it, it makes it good to talk about things so I, I like it yeah and I appreciate that about you too man we've done the same thing back when we used to do the uh the, the thing you were running there what was that mm-hmm. called again uh, the labs yeah I yes the labs dude <laughs> yeah I uh I was I was like, yeah, that's, that was uh, definitely reminiscent of jumping in and talking through some things. And it's nice to just sort of vibe again. Hell yeah. Well, dude, my door's open anytime. Like, if, are you in my Discord? Uh, yeah, I believe I am. And okay. I, I haven't gotten through your whole catalog for as a, a collective it, but. No, not that one. Uh, let's see. I think I've. I think I am the bros. The other one. Maybe I'll have to, uh, have to have you I'll shoot an invite. A link on that. I, I think I was, but maybe I had, had well, you probably, I mean, I don't know, you probably like, you could have called it because like, I don't know if you're anything like me, you have a fucking handful. And then like, you're like, I can't handle all of these. <laughs> That's yeah, how I was, am. It, it was, uh, the whole list and I pared down and I think I might have pruned out a couple of discords I didn't mean to have, have left on that. So yeah, that'd be good to get you back in the list here. Yeah. Like it's just, you know, it's just, you know, people I get along with or whatever. Yeah. I wanted to like set up my own hub for like streaming and videos and podcasts and stuff, but. Um, that makes sense. <laughs> we, I have a spot at the bottom of my discord called pop-up podcast. So like anytime there's just like, I don't know, this is like anytime like a bunch of us just happen to be together and we just want to mm-hmm. fuck around, mm-hmm. we can just go into that channel nice, and just start like a ridiculous conversation with like people it. or whatever. And I then like I it. have it kind of set up. So I, I could be wrong. I'm new to discord, but I thought I set it up so that I can only... Um, give people uh, permissions on it. Mm-hmm. So like it has room for 50 people, mm-hmm. but I think I have to give permissions. So like I could have like a handful of dudes go in there and then we all start like, I open up permissions for all of us and we all start talking and then like people can funnel in, mm-hmm. but they can't necessarily speak. Oh, okay. I got you. 
you know what I'm saying? So it's almost like it could be like a live yeah. in person yeah, get around sort of a podcast. There. Yeah, that's cool. But like people can't just like talk. It's only like the people I allow to talk. So like mm-hmm. if a handful of us are like, let's just fucking shoot the shit. And then a bunch of people just happen to pile in. Yeah. They can listen to us. Sound yeah. like idiots or. <laughs> cool. Yeah. No, I, I like the uh, wheelhouse and uh, or no, no, the, the round table style like that, where you just get a group of people who can bounce some ideas. It can get definitely get dicey when you get multi people to be able to keep from overlapping too much. But sometimes you get some great conversations when you get everybody talking through at once. Like the, the little multi-person discord call can be pretty cool. Yeah. I think I've, to me, like, a four-person podcast can go really well. Mm-hmm. Three to four people can be fun as hell. Mm-hmm. I've seen like comedy podcasts with three to four people be hilarious. And yeah, and, and some personalities too. Like you get you know, specifically like comedy persons, they can really read the right situation in in there too. Mm-hmm. Where they can really build for a cool cool episode. It does, especially if you have like. Works well if it's like two people that are like the core and then maybe they have two guests and it's like, it, and it just allows enough time for like people to like, I guess what I, it's kind of like this more people thinking of what's funny mm-hmm. so yeah. that whenever something, a situation comes up, there's more chances of somebody mm-hmm. grabbing a joke out of it. Yep. Kind of a deal. Nope. That makes sense. I, I, I like that. It's funny. Yeah. Especially if I, it's a good group of dudes. One of my uh, favorite podcasts is uh, My Brother, My Brother, and Me. And it's three brothers who are all comedians and they have their own. Uh, they, I think they all have their own podcast separately now as well, but they've worked with a. Um, a network of podcasts are all comedy podcasts and they do tours and everything. I mean, they're they're doing it and they're, they're hilarious. And, (laughs) and and like you're saying with three people, you get a continuous riff that can run for the whole episode because one feeds off the other that way. So yeah, somebody's always thinking of what's the next funny thing to say. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, I like that. It's always fun. And so, yeah, that's uh definitely can can work to its advantage that way all right you want to plug some stuff real quick well i mean the only thing i've really got is uh my twitch channel which would be crazy underscore one eight one three and at this point i don't really have anything else i'm promoting too much i'll sort of see whether i develop anything else out further but for the most part it's just sort of hanging out with everybody over on mash shows buttons network and that's kind of my main uh locale of of interaction at this point but nothing nothing too crazy all right sounds good to me man but again all she wrote appreciate uh you uh having me on and hopefully do this again absolutely brother anytime sounds good maybe we can catch some games if you play games before i'm in bed definitely i you, you, uh, <laughs> you fall asleep here before uh midnight uh, then fire them up yeah yeah <laughs> which i know you're on east coast so i'm asking extra hours on you that way too so <laughs> it's funny because typically when i get to play with you i'm 
six or seven or eight beers deep at that point. And I'm just like, I'm having so much fun that I, I'm up that late. <laughs> I just don't want to stop. Mm-hmm. And then I catch up with crazy and I'm like, ah, oh, poor crazy. <laughs> He's going to play with me. Yeah, it's all good. No, it's always good to just get out there and play. I, I don't know. This past season, I was pushing for sort of mid, mid to high for what I, I said, but the high level what I can achieve for ranked and sort of getting into Overwatch now. So with Overwatch Ooh. 2 coming out, I'm diving into Overwatch. Got a nice Overwatch T-shirt for mash those buttons. Nice, nice, yeah. Yeah. There's uh, there's been sort of a resurgence of uh, a lot of the the old boys uh, in Mash now. I'm getting them back into Overwatch. Uh, as a little been, like a renaissance, if uh, you will. Yeah, Geo was playing some, and he uh, talked me into picking it up, and so I've been playing, learning, and there's so much to learn about yeah, Overwatch. And I've been was fortunate that. I was streaming the past couple of days and jaw jumped in and was giving me some coaching. And so, uh, That's cool. then saw, uh, Adam bomb was playing some games here today. So he was excited and, uh, it's like, yeah, got me hyped up again. So I'm <laughs> thinking we might get about a half dozen people here before long and be able to run some, uh, some full squads for when the new game drops. Oh, that'd be cool. Oh yeah. So, Cross the fingers, see what we can get. But yeah, I, I'm thinking that. I mean, there's always so many good games out. But I just was like, yeah, it seems like that might be in my wheelhouse here to to check this out. I feel that a lot of strategy and different stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So currently, my right new, on. my new obsession. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, something. Gotta have oh, something. Yeah, it's good. To, it's good to have a healthy obsession. <laughs> I would agree. Not heroin. Yeah. That 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 would fall a little bit further on the other scale. I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll call it there. All right. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Oh, sweat, buddy. Light